Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 85 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, and any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to the show, share us around on social media, and if you have time, leave us a five-star review on the podcasting platform of your choice. Joining me today, we have a first-time guest. If you follow 411, he is a reviewer. He always reviews NXT every week. He used to review the Monday Night Wars. He pops in for various other things. Kevin Pantoja, what's up, buddy? Uh, Nothing much. It's good to be here. I've, uh, I've always been interested in getting involved on you know podcasts so it's good to be on yeah it is uh it's good to have you on i like uh trying to mix it up every once in a while and uh kev i know you uh you have a twitter and you have a, a patreon so why don't you i don't want to forget why don't you get that plug out of the way first <laughs> oh well awesome i was hoping to plug it <laughs> um uh the twitter is at the kevsta that's the underscore k-e-v-t sorry k-e-v-s-t-a-a-a three a's that's important <laughs> Uh, and the Patreon is the same thing, patreon.com slash the underscore Kevsta. Um, I'm doing exclusive reviews there. You can't get anywhere else. Random top 10 lists. I do movie reviews there, uh, analysis of old shows, just all sorts of wrestling, uh, mostly wrestling things, a few movie things in there as well. So if you like Kevin's work on 4-on-1 and you enjoy him on the podcast, let us know, let him know, throw him a little support if you have some extra money, and that's always a good thing. But yeah, I'm excited to have you on, Kev. I mean, uh, a lot of the time we review a lot of the same stuff on mm-hmm. the site and you off the site especially too. Uh, so, you know, we uh, we get into that grind. And uh, I do want to ask you real quick, a lot of people always ask me, like, because I know you, you do a lot of stuff. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people are always like, you know, how do you stay motivated to review a lot of stuff? And for me, uh, the first thing that comes to mind these days is Wednesday nights. <laughs> because that, Wednesday nights are just, for me, it's like the best night of the week. It, it certainly is. Um, it's it, like, you know, we haven't had this since the 90s. And even then, if you go back and watch some of those Raw and Nitros, they're not always great. No. Um, <laughs> but I feel like even... Since the you know since it's been NXT versus Dynamite, even the worst episodes of those shows are still good. So it's it's constantly high quality things. Exactly, and for me, that's um, I get kind of amped up. I can be tired Wednesday morning, and then I realize, hey, it's Wednesday. It's like it's, <laughs> it, it, the very worst. I'm going to get two good shows. There's a high probability I may get two great shows. Mm-hmm. So I just I get excited because. And that's the thing, too, is like we jokingly call it the Wednesday Night War, man. But I mean, seriously, and I keep trying to tell people, you don't have to pick a side. You don't. And the other thing, too, is here's the thing. You don't always have to watch both shows because like Kevin and I review stuff. And if you guys don't have four hours, pop in. We will gladly tell you what the worthy stuff is. Like, we'll tell you what's worth your time. We'll tell you what segments aren't good. Like. You know, Brandy Rhodes and the Nightmare Collective. Yeah. Um, but I yeah. mean, we'll, t- we'll, we'll tell you all the matches that are worth your time. And if you only have an hour, you can hit the good stuff and get in and out and be happy. That's all you have to yeah. do. Honestly, we don't always see eye to eye on things, you know. Um, no, but yeah. you have saved me so many hours of like 205 Live episodes, <laughs> like the recent ones. And I hate that, though, because I used to love and I know you did, too. I used to yeah. love that show so much. Arya Davari, the bane of your existence. Him and the Sings, brother. When they <laughs> when they stack them up back to back on the shows, like I'm cool with the Sing brothers in the 24 seven capacity where they can be funny. But yeah, 
but yeah, it's a it's good times, and and that's also the fun of reviewing stuff. Dude, is like like you said, we don't always fully agree on stuff. There are times where we're perfectly eye for eye, and then there's times where we're both like, eh, no, you know, I like something yeah. more than you, or you like something more than me, vice versa, whatever it is. But I think that's the cool thing about it, and I, I also think that's great when we're both reviewing stuff on the site because someone yeah. may like mine and not like yours, or they may love yours and hate mine, so it doesn't really matter. You get a difference of opinion and. That's all. That's why I yeah. That's why I always you know I find it kind of funny when people get so angry in the comment section. It's like we're just stating our opinions and giving analysis. You know, you don't have to agree with us. We're not saying we're automatically right. Exactly, and that's just the thing. It's uh, we're just trying to like I I talked about and I I I got to talk with Sports Illustrated this week, which was cool. And I I kind of look at myself as like I'm not better than anybody else. I kind of look at myself as a guide. I try to be as honest mm-hmm. as possible. I try to tell everybody the good stuff. That's why I like doing my match of the month stuff because mm-hmm. not everybody can watch as much stuff as me. Cause it's this is my job. So mm-hmm. it's like you know I'm just trying to tell people what the good stuff is and if you because like time is precious for everybody, man. And that's yeah, very true. So, but I'm, that's why I had a dump. You know, I had to stop. You know, uh, when I did my top 100 matches list years ago, I included Noah and Lucha Underground in progress, and now I have you know a more demanding job, and I had to cut things out. So it's time is is it's you know time is it's hard to get. It is, man. So, I mean, but uh, we're going to talk about, we got some good stuff to talk about tonight. It was a busy WWE weekend. We had Worlds Collide taking the place of NXT TakeOver this weekend and the Royal Rumble, obviously. Mm-hmm. And um, just first of all, before we get deep into the Worlds Collide show, which is what we'll start with, do you think this was a viable experiment that they can carry on with in the future? Um, I think so. Um, I guess like the toughest part is probably just flying everybody in for these shows, you know, for like a one night thing. Um, like they flew Undisputed Era to take over Blackpool just to do a run in. Um, but in general, I think that they have enough talent to do it. Like talent is nowhere near WWE's problem. Their wow. roster is stacked. Um, and it, it makes for some fun matches. Like the matches we got on this entire card of Worlds Collide, other than Rhea Tony, were all fresh. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, some good stuff to talk about. Anyway, we'll start with Worlds Collide. Pre-show match was the NXT UK Women's Champion, Kaylee Ray, defeating Mia Yim 930. Uh, Kev, your thoughts first, man. Um, I, I think this was a good match. A uh, very good way to you know start the show. They didn't try to reinvent the wheel or do anything you know over the top. They had a good straight you know straight match for 10 minutes. I do think that uh, Kaylee Ray is super underrated. Um, she was probably my War Games MVP. She took bumps from everybody. <laughs> Uh, I liked aggressive uh, Miriam. She was like very aggressive throughout, and I thought that was good. But she threw some really weird-looking punches in the match that <laughs> just felt like way out of place. Um, I like the finish with the the you know cheap win. It's overdone, but it works in some cases. I like Kaylee Ray stealing uh, the finisher, eat the feet, because um, I'm pretty sure she stole Tony's move at one point or Piper Niven. I could be wrong. Yeah, she stole Tony's maybe. Yeah. Yeah, so I kind of like that. I hope that's like her gimmick. She never hits the swanton, but she steals your finisher. Um, but yeah, overall, good match. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, definitely, especially for a pre-show match. Good good match. They, they got a nice amount of time, which is nice. They have a history working together and against each other. So yeah. I thought they played well off of each other. And again, yeah, maximized the minutes. They made um, good use of the time. And they got the crowd into it, too, which was important because, unfortunately, not everybody from the NXT UK brand had that same success on this card because the running joke is NXT UK is not an actual promotion that anybody watches. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a figment of our imaginations. Yeah, unfortunately. But yeah, us de- two and Ian. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but yeah, de- definitely a good match, a nice little uh, th- start to things, and that led to the main card: Finn Balor versus Ilya Dragunov. And you were talking about how everything on this card, except for um, the women's title match later, was a fresh match. This was definitely mm-hmm. a fresh first time match. I know a lot of people were looking forward to it because. You know, I think everybody expects at least a quality to very good performance from Finn. But Ely is a guy that a lot of regular WWE or NXT fans probably haven't seen a lot of. Mm -hmm. Um, So unless you're digging into NXT UK and you saw some great matches with Alexander Wolfe or you've dug into Progress or WXW and all these other places where he's been, this is probably your first time seeing him. And I think the crowd reaction kind of mimicked that because everybody was obviously happy to see Finn because Finn's a star. And mm-hmm. then they're like, who the fuck is this Russian dude? <laughs> Literally, um, I watched uh, that match with my girlfriend. She's a big Finn Balor fan. Go figure. Um, mm-hmm. And she saw Dragon over. She's like, what the hell is this? <laughs> like, he looked terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so, But uh, Finn won. I think everybody expected Finn has a big match coming up with Gargano. So he won 13.55. Uh, I thought it was a very good match. Um, Balor, I thought he was really giving overall. He tried to give as much to Dragunov to allow him to shine before he had to lose. Because we all knew Finn was winning. So I thought it was yeah. important that Elia got to look good. And especially in front of a bigger audience than the NXT UK crowds. Because not just the crowd in general, but the viewership overall. Because I'm sure more people watch Worlds Collide than your average NXT UK. For sure. Um, it was definitely an uphill battle at times to get the crowd into it. But, I mean, I thought it was very good. And you know, it wasn't, you know, I think some people might have had a little higher ceiling for it, hope-wise. But I don't think it disappointed at all. But, um, and they, you know, again, fighting that crowd was really difficult. But I thought it was really good. Yeah, um, agreed. Uh, I Like you said, Finn was very giving. I really liked the spot where he went, they had like a little exchange and he went for the Pele and Dragunov kind of like, they put a twist on that. Like he's blocked it or caught it, I think it was. Um, I also liked when Dragunov did his like coast to coast drop kick. And Finn was draped over the ropes. It looked realistic, and that's important to me because I hate when people, you know, hold the ropes in place so or hold onto the ropes so they can get hit with the double stomp or something. It oh looks yeah, so... that trio double stomp in the corner. Yeah. Yeah, 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 or something like that. Finn was draped, and his like arm was on the mat, so it came off more realistic, and I appreciated that. Um, I have been liking Finn as a heel. He had extra snap or like bite to his offense on this, and I thought that was very important. Um, but yeah, really good hard hitting match. Pretty much exactly what I wanted. It wasn't a blow away match, but it was very good. Yeah, and hopefully Ely is a guy that they have some good designs on in NXT UK because I, I would love to see him built up for a match with Walter because I think that'd be really great on a takeover. For, to me, it seems like that's where they're headed. I don't know if that's what their plan is for Mania weekend. If you know the UK gets a title match on that on regular takeover like they did last year with Walter Dunn. Um, but I feel like Walter Dragunov is the way to go. I agree. So we had a uh, short interview segment in between matches here as the Grizzled Young Vets and Bruiserweights were in the crowd. <laughs> they, they announced that the winner of their match not only wins the Dusty Cup on Wednesday, but will earn a tag team title shot to take over Portland, which I think most of us most of us expected, but obviously good to know and have it confirmed. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just it was fun because Zach Gibson is he's such a douche. 
He's a and, heat magnet. Yeah, and I mean that in the best way possible. Obviously. Absolutely. He really is. And then, like, Riddle is just fucking Matt Riddle. We all know what Matt Riddle is. And he's so just over the top and hamming it up. And he's talking about how, you know, they need to chill out. And he's like, you guys need to understand that we're going to beat you. And my bro, Pete Dunn has the biggest smile on his face right now, (laughs) ear to ear. And if you know, Pete Dunn, Pete Dunn has the Pete Dunn face. He's just standing there. And then Matt Riddle's reaction when uh, Pete Dunn's like, I'm just going to be blunt here. And Matt Riddle's like, yeah, he said blunt. So and oh, it, it's fun because again Zach is a great douche and Riddle is hilarious and the way him and Pete play off of each other is a lot of fun. Do you think the Berserweights win the Dusty Cup? I mean, if I'm booking and looking to have a great uh, takeover match, yeah. I mean, I don't think the Grizzly Young Vets are bad by any means. But no, not at all. If I'm looking to have the best tag match possible, it's it's the Berserweights. And I wouldn't be surprised if that opens the takeover because how many times have we seen Undisputed Era have a banger of an opener on a takeover? They've mastered that, whether it's the Viking Raiders, whether it's Danny Burch and Orny, Orny Lorcan, like they just they've mastered that spot. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, we talk about Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly a lot. I know you and your reviews as well. I mean, they're mm. so good. P- probably, I think the best tag team last year overall in terms of what I got to see. I didn't see everything, obviously. Yeah, I love those guys a lot, and um, yeah, it's just. They're like the most reliable thing because if you put them in a tag match on a takeover, you can generally uh, pencil in four stars and then go from yeah. there. <laughs> and what's even better is the fact that, you know, it's a case where they're so seamless. Like when Fish was out and Roddy was in, they were putting on, you know, great matches every time out, Roddy and Kyle. Yeah, and the other thing, and that to go to Roddy, and we'll talk about him too in the main event, mm-hmm. I look at Roddy as somebody that is almost underappreciated because for the past 10 years – you can put him up there with the top workers as far as delivering top-tier matches with different opponents. Mm-hmm. I literally wrote that down. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at him. I mean, I, when I see a Roddy Strong singles match, I get excited like when I get um, excited for a big Tom Ishii match. Yeah. Because they can work well with a wide variety of opponents and they always deliver. And those are two guys you look over the last... Ishii, I'd say the last seven years solidly, yeah. but overall the last ten years between those two, you can't really go wrong. Roddy had that slightly lazy time in ROH when he got contracted Roddy uh, yeah. after that really good Evolve run. But otherwise, I mean, but he didn't do anything bad. It was just the guys he was facing, you know, so. Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing. It's like, other than that stretch, like, I, I can go back to when I used to go to Ring of Honor shows live in 06 and 07 in New York and he was with the No Remorse Corps and constantly like he was great then and he's somehow like even much like he's way better now I feel like and that's insane for someone who was so good and is 13 years older yeah and the thing that's scary about Roddy is and like Roddy was don't get me wrong he was never fat but Roddy when he oh my god when he got when he got in shape though and became like a fucking cardio freak Mm -hmm. I mean Jesus all bets were off yeah yeah so good, though. Um, so we had our first title match of the evening up next, Kev. Champion Angel Garza, Swerve Scott, Jordan Devlin, Travis Banks for the Cruiserweight Championship. And we had a gloriously pleasant surprise. I don't know if you'll agree, but Jordan Devlin mm-hmm. won the match, defeating Garza, Scott, and Travis Banks. 12-30 via pin. First of all, I, th- I thought they would probably just go chalk here and have the t- champion retain. But I-, I was hoping that Devlin would win. Because he's a guy that 
He's been really good in NXT UK, obviously, but his best work has honestly been outside of WWE. Mm -hmm. And he's a guy that I keep looking at, and I'm like, how are you not using this guy more? And for him to win here, I loved it. I thought they had a a great kind of sprint-style match. I thought Travis Banks actually looked really good in here because he's a guy that um, I think out of the four was really overlooked going in because it's like, Certainly. no offense. I mean, he's compared to the others, like Scott has the indie cred. Garza is kind of like the new toy everybody's really getting into. Devlin, mm-hmm. as we spoke about, is awesome. And Travis Banks is, for the most part, he's a good performer that doesn't get a lot of run in NXT UK. Yep. But I thought he was awesome in this match. I didn't expect the title change. I loved it. I hope Devlin gets to shine on a bigger stage. I kind of hope he keeps the title for a while, maybe gets a mm-hmm. takeover match coming up. But yeah, I love this, Kev. I thought it was great. Uh, I pretty much echo your statements there. Actually, I looked at it, and our reviews for World Collide are pretty on par, um, like every match. Uh, I agree. I think the title change was a great move. I feel like as great as Devlin is, he kind, they, they made the decision after they saw his match with Bait at Blackpool, and they were like, we got to get this guy a title. He's really good. Probably. Um, I mean, yeah. And you can't blame him because that performance, that was a, an excellent match. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, I feel like that's the thing with the NXT UK guys. Like, even Tyler Bate, he'll have a, you know, killer match. And then you kind of forget about him for a few weeks or months. And then it's like, oh, yeah, Tyler Bate's back and he's really good. <laughs> well, um, it's kind of a shame that that happens, though, because these agreed. guys are excellent. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's just, it's Tyler Bate's 22 or 23. Like, that's insane. It is. It, it, I, it astounds me. Him, him yeah. and Dunn are both like 25 and under. It's just like, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, it's like, yeah. it's insane because theoretically, unless something drastically goes wrong, like Tyler Bates is only going to get better. That's, and that's unbelievable to think. <laughs> and it's not like, like we kind of joked about Roddy, like the, the chubby days, people like to mock Roddy, but it's like, it's not like Tyler Bate even needs to get in shape or like, like fix that part of his game. He's just like a fucking prodigy at this point. He is. It's it like we thought, you know, when he had the, when he won the UK title at 19, it was like, this guy's a prodigy. And then it's just gotten better and better. Yeah, I I don't know. It's a, it's hard to find words to say about guys like him and Devlin, man. I mean, yeah, I, I saw so much great stuff from Devlin last year, and I'm just happy he's getting a shot. And uh, he did a quick quick deal after the match, proclaiming his greatness. So respect the Irish Ace, everybody. Yeah, um, you know, back to just the match itself. Like you said, very good. Tons of crazy spots. Um, it was it was basically a glorified spot fest, but I'm okay with those. Like, you know, don't overdo them. But that, that sometimes I just want to see. Four athletic guys do wild shit. Um, like I said, the uh, the result was a surprise hell of a match. I really am interested in how they pull this off because it is the NXT Cruiserweight title, but now it's on NXT UK. Uh, so I'm just I'm interested. Like, does Devlin work more full sale now? Does he defend the title? They're on the tapings in NXT UK. Uh, you know, I'm very interested in what they do there. I am too. I just uh, I hope he gets a good run with it because I think that's a guy you just. Like, I'm not a big added title to, to promotions guy, but, like, I kept looking at him and Ilya, and I'm like, those are guys you could make a case for for a secondary title in NXT UK because those are guys you need to do stuff with. Yeah, and, I was and it like, feels like Walter's not losing the title anytime soon, so... Exactly. So, yeah, I, I love the Devlin win. Pleasantly surprised. Glad to be wrong. Uh, also, just a quick note, um, I do... Like, as much as I like that Devlin won the title, I would have liked Andrew Carson to get a little longer run. Like, he's been really enjoyable. Um, 
So maybe hopefully he doesn't, you know, fade into obscurity now. Yeah, again, like you said, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle things because, yeah, maybe maybe Jordan comes over and works some more NXT proper and, mm-hmm. you know, and s- stuff like that. I kind of, like, I kind of want him on 205 Live because I want to see a good match, but at the oh, same yeah. time, I'm like, eh, I'm like, just don't book him versus, like, Tavari. <laughs> I was about to say, are you ready for the best of seven? Jordan Devlin versus Aria Tavari. <laughs> oh, God. I've had a rough enough time watching Tyler Breeze try to drag him to enjoyable matches. Oh, poor Tyler Breeze. Yeah. So, uh, next up was, I think, pretty much everybody's most anticipated uh, match on the card. Mm-hmm. DIY versus Mustache Mountain. The lads got 23 minutes. DIY won, Kev. I will go to you first for your thoughts, sir. That was some spectacular tag team wrestling. Um, Just watching the opening exchange between, like, Tyler Bate and Johnny Gargano, I need that match, singles match, like, right now. Someone go book that immediately. And I was watching it, and I thought about it, and I'm like, I feel like these are my two, like, the two wrestlers that impressed me the most over the past few years. Like, they've had so many stellar matches. You know, I just, I would love to see them against each other. Um, They did a great job of, like, mixing in the obvious, you know, great stuff that we're we're used to from them and the tag team wrestling. And with some of the funny moments, like Trent Seven having the flex off with Tommaso Ciampa and just immediately giving up, like, yeah, I'm not going to win this. Um, I like... Johnny Gargano doing Ciampa's taunt with him. So, you know, a sweet moment for them. Um, I loved toward the end when DIY went for the meeting in the middle and they did bop and bang. Like, just really creative things that these guys did together. And um, probably my second favorite match of the year so far behind Osprey Hir- uh, Hiromu. Um, but, yeah, just I, I can't gush enough about this match. Yeah, I mean, I was I was so excited for this match. Like, within the span of a week, there were two tag team matches announced that I was super excited for. This was the one, and then ROH announced Mexa Blood versus the Briscoes. And I, just, I love tag team wrestling, so I'm like, yes. Mm-hmm. I'm like, so excited. So, yeah, I, I love this match. I mean, I love the playful beginning because... They worked to get the crowd invested through that. Plus, I thought it was smart because it was kind of a buffer after the, for lack of a better word, the spotty cruiserweight match. And there's nothing wrong with that because sometimes you need that variety on a card. As long as it's not every match, there's nothing wrong with that. And those were the right four guys to do it with. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was like a good buffer from that. And from there, I thought they did a really beautiful job of escalating the action all throughout. They got the crowd into it big time. I thought DIY, I mean, for as much as they haven't been together, those guys just don't miss a beat. Mustache Mountain are fucking great. And Mm -hmm. they just did a ton of little things from basic saves to miscommunication spots to Mm -hmm. cutoffs. I love Papa Trent Seving trying to protect Tyler Bate on the meeting in the middle spot. Yeah. Because, like, those guys have – they do such a great job of pulling emotion into a match. And I say this all the time. I think Trent Seven gets greatly overlooked because he's not Tyler Bate and because he's not Pete Dunne. Absolutely. Trent Seven is a really good pro wrestler. He does all the little things well. He does storytelling well. He brings emotion into a match. So I loved him throwing his body in there to save him. Just those little things. And then, like you said, that led to the bop and bang spot. And overall, tremendous piece of business. Beautiful tag team wrestling. And this was my match of the show. Absolutely sure. loved it. And I just, um, God, I fucking love tag team wrestling when it's done like this, Kev. Just so good. 
Yeah, like I remember, uh, I think I've talked about it with uh, NXT. Like 2014 was the year where they had like really good NXT title matches with Zayn and Neville. And then 2015 was all the great women's matches, Becky, Sasha, Sasha Bailey. And then like in 2016, the revival came along and uh, um, American Alpha and then AOP and Sand. Like they just had great tag team wrestling. I thought it was just going to be like that year, like the other things, but they just kept it going. They've had DIY, um, you know, Sanity. Like there's just been so many undisputed era. Alistair Black and Ricochet like this. It's like nonstop great tag team wrestling in NXT. Yeah, and speaking of the tag team, we talked about the Bros ways earlier. I mean, I'm in a way I'm not surprised because both guys individually are really good, but are you somewhat surprised that they've gelled so well so quickly? Because th- th- it makes me feel like Alistair Black and Ricochet because those guys came together out of nowhere and had mm-hmm. a bunch of fucking bangers, and now we're seeing the same. And yeah, I mean, they're great individuals, but not everybody can adapt to a tag team wrestling like that, man. Yeah, I, it, it was it, you know it does feel like it's surprising. Uh, it should be on paper, but I kind of came into it expecting it because we've seen it from Alistair and Ricochet, and on a lesser to a lesser extent, uh, Finn Balor and Samoa Joe in the first Dusty. You know, it's like these makeshift tags, and granted, Joe and Balor weren't on this level, but like Alistair and Ricochet on paper, that team should not work. You got the high flying like superhero guy, and then basically the devil. Like, <laughs> how does that work? Um, and now you got like it's so hilarious every week when the Brotherweights come out and Pete Dunne angrily walks to the ring while Matt Riddle's music is playing. Exactly, like, it, it cracks me up. But they're mat- two matches in, and they've had two bangers. Yeah, and I, I just love like every time Riddle does something ridiculous, Pete Dunne just does that little like Yano shrug. And yeah. It's just like, yeah, whatever, dude. It's all right. <laughs> We're like, here. Yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> like they even got their entrance like perfect with the the you know he throws off his sandals and then they pose together. I'm like these guys they've been teaming for years. It is, and it's and it's so great to see, and it is a really fun dynamic. So yeah, I really hope they win the Dusty Cup and face mm-hmm. uh, undisputed. That's that just is so good on paper. And it's not like they're doing any; they have anything else lined up for takeover. It gets those two guys on takeover. Grizzly Young Vets can, you know, go back to the UK for you know, and do some stuff there. Like they don't have to be on the takeover card, but these guys do. So they don't want to go back to the UK because that means they're going to feud with Dallas. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right, <laughs> keep the titles for some reason. <laughs> uh, next up, we had the NXT Women's Championship match: Champion Rhea Ripley versus Tony Storm. Rhea Ripley defeated Tony at ten fifteen via pin and. The first thing I thought was they were put in a really difficult position mm-hmm. after that tag match. I really would have put this on before the tag match. That is like yeah. my one like main criticism of the card. I think I think normally NXT overall and Hunter and them do a really good job of card layout. But yeah. I would have flipped this one because I think everybody knew at the very least DIY and Mustache Mountain was probably going to be great. Yeah. So you're putting Rhea and Tony in a position that's really difficult and Tony storm for as much as she looks like a star and there was high hopes hasn't exactly wowed in singles action. Yeah. And I I don't mean that she's been bad by any means, but it's just, she hasn't had like a lot of greatness to her. So I thought they had, it was, Mm -hmm. it was a good match kind of physical. Um, but again, it suffered from, I think Tony never really feeling like a legit threat to me. Um, she kind of continues to struggle overall in WWE in terms of those big wins. Wouldn't be surprised of a, a heel turn coming. Again, mm. not bad. I thought it was like low-level good and the weakest thing on the card. Yeah. Um, a few things. Uh, first, I do want to say that this reminded me of 
there was a stretch, I feel like, in 2018 where Shayna Baszler matches always had to follow Velveteen Dream matches. And I was like, that poor woman just has to keep following <laughs> these great matches. Um, and that's what this reminded me of. Um, two, I love Tony Storm, but I do agree with you. She hasn't had that, like, standout match. I've seen her have great matches before. You know, she she has some bangers in progress. I remember her and Laura DiMatteo having a really good match. Her and Io Shirai and, you know, in stardom. Um, but it just it hasn't felt like it's clicked as well as it should have. And I wrote down, like, when I was looking into my review for that show, I've been waiting for Rhea Ripley and Tony Storm to have that great match together. They're both very good. But all like four of their matches now have been just you know between average and good. Um, I did like uh, you know Tony felt a little more aggressive on certain things than she you know which makes sense considering she's desperate to be champion again. That's kind of the story they're going with. But then that finish kind of came out of nowhere. It was like she missed the frog flash and then fell to Riptide and it just it was anticlimactic and it kind of just died. And like you said, she never felt like a threat. Um, so yeah, just a good match, you know, it wasn't bad by any means, but it fell way short of everything else on the show. The last thing that I want to mention is that before this match, we had the Dakota Kai Tegan Knox segment. Yeah, I was going to go back to that. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and this was, I like this too, because, um, yeah, they were doing the normal NXT stars in the crowd shot and Dakota Kai was there and Tegan Knox came out and started to kick the shit out of her. Mm-hmm. And they brawled ringside till security pulled them apart. And I thought this was a really nice payoff to the usual. Hey, there's an NXT person in the crowd. Such a good use of it. <laughs> exactly. Because we always see that and we've never had this. And mm-hmm. it works perfectly because they are facing off Wednesday night. So it was a nice little last minute build to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to play it. You know, like our expectations we see. We've been watching wrestling, most of us, for, you know, 20, 30 years. So you got to try something new to get us like thrown off. Exactly. So, I mean, I, and I have no problems. I, I love little things like that. And again, good mm-hmm. good use of time because it didn't go long. It's not like they had like a four-minute brawl that felt like it lasted forever. Just a, a really good, aggressive little brawl, quick pull apart, yelling at Crowd each other. Crowd was hot for it. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, that, that's good stuff. And again, it's uh, nice to mix things up. Um, before the main event, um, they were backstage. Uh, Finn Balor attacked Johnny Gargano, beat the shit out of him. Tyler Bate made the save. Mm-hmm. So it looks like we may be teasing Tyler Bate and Finn at some point, which I am not opposed to that. Absolutely not. It feels like that's something that, as great as it sounds, it's going to be like a weekly NXT. Like, I don't think it's going to be a takeover thing, at least not yet. I'm assuming they work a Wednesday night or something. So, you know, they're like, you can go watch Dynamite or you can watch Finn Balor versus Tyler Bate. Yeah. And hey, you know what? If they're on Wednesday, that's fine as long as they get oh, yeah, the time. Absolutely. Man. Yeah, I'm not. I, I, I didn't mean that as a complaint. Like, I'm all for that. Like, give me great wrestling on Wednesday, Saturday, like whatever day. <laughs> uh, and that led to the main event: the uh, the dominant factions of both brands, Imperium, facing off with Undisputed Era. Uh, before we get into it, the uh, obviously the big talking point was early in the match. Poor Alexander Wolf, the Hatchet Man, got knocked the fuck out. Yeah, he was. You could the second it happened, you're like, that's not right. Like, he looks out of it. Yeah, because he uh, they did uh, there's a little double team deal. He got kicked in the face, and he stood. He was on his knees, and he stood. He like stiffened up right away. Yeah, like and he like, stiff- Yeah, 
And like he didn't do like the like kick in the face and then slump down cell. I mean, he got kicked and was just like kind of upright. And you could see the there were the lights were on, but nobody was home. It was like he wanted to go down, but his body was like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do here. And it just got kind of stuck in the middle and he got pinned. And you could tell he didn't really kick out, but they had to make it look like it. Yeah. And I do want to say, I thought uh, Drake did a great fucking job of realizing what happened. He's got, fantastic. He is. And he got him the hell out of there really quick. So, I mean, so great job in realizing it. Obviously, very unfortunate. Um, but I'm glad that they handled it properly because how many times have we seen a possible concussion or an injury in a match and then it's just like the referee has no clue what to do. Remember the struggle to get Liv Morgan out of the ring when Brie Bella hurt her? Yeah. Like that was, she looked, I'm like, please get that woman out of the ring. Yeah, that's that's one of the extreme circumstances. That's actually a mm-hmm. great example. And that's just, yeah, they just tried to continue on with spots there. But yeah, Drake was, and then like not only that, poor Bobby Fish. Yeah, he looked he, shaken. Yeah, he he looked like he felt like he was the biggest piece of shit in the world. Mm-hmm. Because, and I'm not saying he, but what I'm saying is he looked like horrified oh, that yeah. he hurt someone. Yeah, like so. you could tell that that's somebody who takes, you know, being safe in the ring seriously because... You know, he just he looked distraught that he had done that, and poor Alexander Wolf, he has the worst luck. You know, he got knocked out here. I'm pretty sure, if I remember right, in that first War Games match with Sanity, he had like a real bad cut. Yeah, he took um, a big bad cut on the back of his head. Yeah, so it's like he gets these big, you know, group matches, and it just sudden, you know, unfortunate happens. So that was the unfortunate part of the match. Uh, the good news is they carried on. Uh, Imperium defeated Undisputed Era. They went around 30 minutes. Um, obviously the first thing again, it sucks that Wolf got hurt. I totally hate that, but, uh, credit to Drake for getting him out of there and credit to the other seven guys because they overcame a big handicap because they had to carry on with the rest of the match. One person down, they had to turn it into a handicap match, which was obviously not the plan. Everybody's a fucking pro here. I mean, we talk about Walter being great. Adam Cole's great. Fish and O'Reilly are great. Roddy Strong is just a fucking general in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eichner and Barthel, also really good. But everybody, I felt, really picked up their game. And, I mean, if if you would have told somebody, like, if you would have started after the concussion or knockout spot and just showed them the match, you would have thought it was a handicap match and it was booked that way. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually, like phenomenal like it's it's amazing that you have a guy go out in the first like three minutes of the match and you're able to pivot and you have to you have to assume that completely changed their layout and still put on something as good as they did exactly and that again that kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier like when fish got hurt and roddy had to step in for tag matches and, mm-hmm. like undisputed era didn't miss a beat and that was everybody in this match yeah pretty I much just, i i can't praise these guys enough so again, total pros here. I thought the interactions played really well, especially like between the tag teams and Walter mm-hmm. versus Cole and Strong at various points. I like that they didn't overdo Walter and Cole. They, yeah, they had good interactions, but they didn't like blow through it or anything. Um, I thought everybody got time to shine. I thought Walter looked like an absolute beast. The crowd treated him like a big deal. Like when he came out, they were into him. And then throughout the match, they were into him when he went into beast mode at the end. And again, I, I thought it was great. I can't praise the guys enough for carrying on after that injury spot because it was really unfortunate. And I've seen so much wrestling and I've seen an injury happen and things just fall apart. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's hard to, and you know, I can understand when it falls apart too, just because it is so difficult to completely change something when you have such a plan. But the fact that they were able to improvise and put on something as great as they did, uh, like you said, Walter felt like a really big fucking deal. Um, everything that he did, the crowd ate up. And I really like that we got to see him kind of as the baby face. Like he had the hot tag and, and it's a role that I'm not used to seeing him in, but it really worked. Um, and it's not as big of a deal, but I loved Roderick Strong just going chop for chop with him. Oh, like, yeah, that's fun. Yeah, like as someone whose introduction to Roddy was him like making Daniel Brian Danielson at the time's chest bleed through chops, like it's good that they still are like Roddy can hang with him in this in this department. Exactly, and it's just it was it was a ton of fun, and I just again I I just I want I want everybody to realize just like how good these guys are for covering after that injury spot. I think that's just really important and not a lot of people are going to really talk about it. They're just like, Oh, it was a good and fun match, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, that's overcoming a big obstacle. Cause I'm sure they had certain things laid out. They obviously had to change course, really liked it. And it was great to see Walter get that really big reaction. And I, I think some people over blew it a little bit, but I understand why people were a little worried because of survivor series, because he had that like three minute run and people felt it like marginalized him a little bit. Mm hmm. And, you know, it's like, I, I get that. And it, it it is a shame that he didn't get, like, a better run there. But he came off like a star here. Now, the, I guess the other thing before we finish up with uh, World's Clyde is they announced that William Regal's going to announce Adam Cole's takeover opponent Wednesday night. I didn't even catch that. Yeah, that is, I I, I think that might have been in the uh, the post thing with uh, Triple H on Facebook. Mm, might have been. Um, yeah, so, I mean, they're going to announce the winner or the um, opponent for... um. Cole at TakeOver, are, are we going Ciampa right away, or is that WrestleMania weekend? Do you think they may pull the trigger on Cole and Walter? What are you thinking? I'm, honestly, this is one of the few times that it really seems so interesting because there's not an, an uh, obvious match. I, mean, I feel like Ciampa's the way to go because he's next. I know that that could be the Mania weekend one. Maybe they go for, like, Cole retains on some, you know, shenanigans or something, and then they do, I don't know, like a multi-man gimmick with Finn and Johnny and Ciampa at Mania. I don't know. Um, I don't think Cole loses it here either way. Uh, I feel like it's got to be Ciampa because I don't think you book him against Walter because he's not going to – you don't want him to beat Walter. Um, I can't really think of many other options. Keith Lee's North American champion now. So you cannot – Dijakovic's not heated up. You know, he's not hot enough right now, so. Yeah, I've been trying to think about it because it's like obviously, yeah, you don't want him to beat Walter because you don't want either of those guys to lose right now. Yeah. And Chiampa would definitely be a safe call because you could do that match. And as you said, you could do some kind of shenanigans filled finish and maybe you get uh, a stipulation match, cage match, something at takeover. Yeah. Um, you, so you could definitely rematch. My first thought was Chiampa's the Mania weekend opponent. And obviously he still may be because they could still go that way. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it's him. I'd be kind of shocked if it's Walter. Um, and like you said, like nobody else is heated up. I, I don't see them really. I mean, obviously nobody from the main roster is going to drop down. I don't think for a title match. I mean, they yeah. did say, I guess Regal said it was going to be big. So maybe mm -hmm. I'm wrong or maybe it's something like, I don't know, maybe Velveteen Dream returns and he gets tossed in. Yeah, I was I was gonna say Dream is an option if he's healthy. It's kind of ridiculous that NXT has been so good over the past few months without Dream. <laughs> Like, I thought he was going to be the War Games partner instead of Kevin Owens. 
Yeah, and again, that just goes back, and you've talked about it, and I've talked about it, and Jeremy and I, Steve Cook, talked about it. I mean, the NXT roster period is ridiculously deep. The overall like WWE women's roster ridiculously deep at this point, mm-hmm. and obviously the overall WWE roster as a whole too. I mean, there's just in in my opinion, it's like there's there's no room to put on average like pay per views or special events in 2020 with this roster because <laughs> agreed, agreed. And you know, I'm one who I, like I feel like I'm more of a WWE. Uh, sorry, w, I sound like Lana, um, <laughs> WWE defender than most people. You know, because I do kind of understand. Like I know everybody wants they're like certain people to get pushed because this roster is loaded and it's almost impossible to push everybody because every the whole roster is talented um but i do see the other side of it too like you don't really have room to put on really bad like cards because you have too much talent for that like when you put on a bad card it's like it's hard to put on a bad card with some of these you know roster with this roster exactly and honestly i mean when i look at it a lot of the time honestly i think the biggest problem they run into is sometimes these shows have way too obviously not world's clocks. I was a tight three hour show with the pre show, mm-hmm. but um, when you get into some of these bigger pay per views, you have a really run long long run time with the pre show, and then a lot of the time for me, it's the booking that gets in the way. It's usually never the talent. Oh yeah, for sure. Because there's just too too many damn good people on this roster. Like even you know one of the main guys who gets so much flack all the time is Baron Corbin, and I understand why. But it's like if Baron Corbin's left on his own, he's had some good matches. His King of the Ring run was really good. Um, I remember him and Kalisto had the only good chairs match I think in history. Yes, the only good chairs match. I will agree with you on there. I give yeah. Baron Corbin a fair amount of shit, but he did have a good King of the Ring run. The only thing that was bad about that is like that tricked a lot of people. Into the like all of a sudden, and like I'm not trying to dog Baron Corbin, but like he had a really good King of the Ring run and some really good matches with Chad Gable. And mm-hmm. I mean, no offense, I have one leg and I could probably have a good match with Chad Gable. That's fair, he is Chad Gable, exactly. I mean, and that's nothing to do with me, but it's just like he had the really good King of the Ring run, and all of a sudden, these weird narratives came out that Baron Corbin has always been an excellent in ring talent. It's like pump the brakes a little bit. Like yeah, you, I'm not. Like, <laughs> no, like you said, when Baron is kind of left to his own devices, there's not a lot of overbooking. He's shown that he can have quality wrestling matches. Yeah, I'm not saying he's, you know, like like you said, like I, I'm not agreeing with that narrative. I'm not saying he's some excellent guy that's going to give you, you know, fan, great matches every week. But he can be, you know, a quality, like, mid-card heel who can do his thing and have, you know, relatively entertaining things. It's the constant overbooking, the dog food, the fact that he was – like, it's hard to, like, granted, we hate Baron Corbin and, you know, he's doing good heel work. But when you're the, he was the focal point of three hours of Raw for, like, a whole year. Like, that's too much. Oh, I, I try to not remember that, Stan. That yeah. Was, and that and that's that's also, like, when he wasn't even having good outings during that time was, was the worst part. Besides the fact that he was on the show the whole time. Yeah. So it's like, that was also, like, the thing. Because, like, I think a lot of people would have been, like, God damn, he's all over the show. But hey, at least that match with so and so was really good. And yeah, unfortunately, no. it was like, why is Baron Corbin all over the show? Also, not many wrestlers can put on a great match dressed like he manages an Applebee's or something. So, oh, the, I mean, this is true. Again, um, yeah, not not so much the talent, more the booking getting in the way with that ridiculous mm-hmm. outfit. Yeah. So, uh, but those worlds collide. I I thought it was a pretty tremendous show. I really enjoyed. Enjoyed it, had a fun time, and again, always appreciate the short run time. I love the fact that these NXT shows, like I think the longest one I can remember went maybe three and a half hours. 
um, you know, get in, give me a quality show and get out. When I go to NXT live, uh, I usually go every year when they come to my area. Um, like I realized that maybe the third or fourth show in, they're running like two and a half, two hours and 45 minutes with an intermission. Like they get in, they put on a good show and they get out. Uh, WWE pay-per-views, you've, we've all heard their complaints. They go too long. Um, New Japan, like I understand Wrestle Kingdom being five or so hours, but they run like four hour World Tag League final shows. Like nobody wants that. <laughs> You know, so like just get in there, give me a good show and get out. You don't have to pad it out. Yeah, that was the beauty of Fantastica Mania for me. Two hour and 15 minute shows, man. Lucha Labs. Those shows are so fun. <laughs> yeah, especially when you get like, I mean, we didn't have it this time, but when you get like those years that Okada came out dressed like King from Tekken, like just let the guys go out and have fun for two hours and take me home. <laughs> I know, yeah, Big Ace Tanahashi coming out in face paint and hanging out with Dulce, <laughs> yeah. Dulce Guardiania. And... That was like his best friend on the trip. <laughs> I know. And fucking 60-year-old Negro Koss is beating the shit out of young kids. <laughs> it's like, great. That's what I mean. Like, just give me some fun shows sometime, man. Like, wrestling doesn't always have to be so serious. Yeah, exactly. Like, like the running theme of Fantastica Mania, for anybody that didn't see it, was Dulce Guardiania, who's a an exotico. Yeah. His whole goal throughout the tour was trying to kiss Shingo Takagi and, <laughs> and, and, and proclaiming his love for Bushi. And finally, on the last night of the tour, he got to kiss all three members of LIJ he was facing. And he was the happiest little lucha lad in the world. And That's then he the got kind killed. of long term storytelling that I'm here for. <laughs> and then he got killed. So. <laughs> he reminded me of uh, uh, from Lucha Underground, Pimpinella, Escarlata, or whatever yeah. his name was. Yeah, so. So, but yeah, like you said, give, give us some quality action, get in and get out. So, mm-hmm. but that will take us to the 2020 Royal Rumble. We started off with our preso action, the uh, the returning Sheamus facing off with the previously mentioned Chad Gable. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went uh, 12:45, and Sheamus picked up the win. I think we all expected that. Kev, your thoughts? Um, again. Uh... You know, just Seamus is like, how does he look the same as he did in 2010? Like, that man is, he, he's ridiculous. He's in great shape. Um, again, I was watching this show with my girlfriend and she was like, no, they're really not calling him Shorty G, are they? Um, so I like getting those little tidbits with someone who doesn't watch every week. <laughs> um, I came in knowing that there was a lot of potential here. Uh, it's like the, it's a classic story, the underdog against the bully. And I think both guys are really good in those roles. So, you know, they knew what to do. They went in there. They had a smart match that made a lot of sense for that story. Um, everything Chad Gable does is, you know, crisp. Like, that guy knows what he's doing. And Sheamus just hits hard. So, again, just everything that he did made sense. Quality wrestling. Um, yeah, just good stuff. Yeah, good little opener. Fine way to kick off the show. And, um... You know, no, no real complaints. I think everybody expected Sheamus to win. It was his return match, obviously, and I think you have to put him over. And um, it, it makes sense if they're going to extend this a little bit until Gable maybe beats him later on or whatever, but we'll see. But, yeah, and the good thing was also is I thought Sheamus, um, obviously not just in good shape, I thought he looked good overall because mm-hmm. um, he's worked a couple live events, but this was his first, like, televised match since April of 2019. Yeah, I think he's worked two or three live events uh, early this year. But other than that, I mean, he's been out because of that neck injury. So I'm glad to see he's in good shape. Obviously, I'm glad to see he looked good in the ring. And I just, uh, I mean, my only concerns with him are, I mean, my man's 41. He's not getting any younger. And I just, I uh, hope the neck is strong for him. Yeah, agreed. Um, you know, like 
I just the fact that he's been out for so long and he like you said he looked comfortable. He didn't go out there looking like he had you know. I think Christian mentioned something on the kickoff show that he doesn't believe in ring rust. He's like the good the greats just go out there and do it. Yeah, and he did. He looked good, man. So I was I was happy for him, and that's a. I'm glad he's back because he seems really happy. And I accredit his great shape and desire Lee whooping his ass on that Celtic Warrior workout video. <laughs> All his Celtic Warrior workout videos are pretty like insane in terms of what he does. Yeah, but I, I think she took his soul during that <laughs> workout because <laughs> she is pretty tough. <laughs> so that was uh, cool. Uh, and so uh, we went on next pre-show match was U.S. Champion Andrade defeating Humberto Carrillo fourteen twenty-five via pin. Uh, they definitely got time. Thought they had a pretty good match. I thought there was a little bit of some kind of odd flow issues or hesitations at times, and um, mm-hmm. I didn't think it felt overly heated considering they did have a good history and angle coming into the match because like Andrade basically tried to kill him. Yeah, you know, and um, the crowd never felt really into it. Um, and I thought that held it back from being a little more than it was. Nothing wrong with it. Far from bad. Just like pretty good. I like Sheamus and Gable a little more. I thought they were about on par with each other, uh, but definitely, like you said, there felt like there was a lack of intensity for the fact that, you know, this guy put you on the shelf and then try to take Rey Mysterio's mask. Carrillo should have been more angry. Maybe he just can't be angry with his dimples. Um, but he certainly, you know, and it needed a little more something to it. Um, quality wise, like it's two wrestlers. They, that, you know, can go out there and have Chris, uh, you know, <clears throat> Chris exchanges and like you said there was a few flow issues like you could tell that they didn't have the kind of chemistry that Andrade has with Ray or that Humberto had with I don't know like someone on 205 Drew Gulak or something I can't remember um yeah I like the I did think it got good down the stretch I like the back and forth and the way to finish you know played off it was kind of like a fluke win like Andrade eked it out um I do want to praise Zelina Vega her like reactions to every little moment of the match is so good. Every time she's money. Like, every time when they get her with that reaction shot, like even if you not even, like even if they don't do the shot and you just see her in the background of a kick out or something Andrade does, she is just everything. She's on point with it's so good. It's like Paul Heyman is probably the only one in her like class for that right now. So it, it's 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 welcome. I agree. It's and like I said, they like nail it every time when she gets that great reaction mm-hmm. shot. One other one thing I want to talk about with Andrade. I, obviously, I love Andrade. He's really good. Mm-hmm. I keep and like this is something for me. WWE doesn't do enough of. I really wish they would work on having guys that are like champions and stars have an alternate finish because Andrade does a and like as Lasombra he did it too. He does a lot of cool stuff like with the arm and arm work mm-hmm. and he does that hanging arm bar. And I really wish he would have, like have a, a secondary like submission finish. I would be totally, I always like uh, secondary finishes yeah. and then it makes, you know, things less predictable. Like Sami Zayn always hits the blue thunder bomb when he wrestles and he never, I don't think he's ever won a match with it, but I'm supposed to buy that as a uh, near fall. Exactly. And like every match Andrade does the, uh, this, the hanging Suzuki armbar, and mm-hmm. then he works the arm for a little bit. And then he just goes on about his business. Like it never happened. And it's like, you, give me something to bite into. Like if I know you have like an arm bar or something that, I, that can actually beat somebody, I think that would just add to him. Cause I love Andrade. I think he does yeah. a lot of great stuff. It's like the fact that you put the guy's arm in the hammer, like DDT, that's not enough to pay off your arm work. Yeah. And it's like a, it's like one of the things I really liked about Cody on Dynamite so far is like he's won matches with like a figure four crossroads and cradles. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I like when a guy can show that, like, I can win a match more than one way because, as we talked about, like, unpredictability at times is really great. It's something I remember from, you know, it's just weird that I'm harping back to my uh, ROH glory days, but uh, Daniel Bryan, when he was champion there, I believe, if I remember right, he beat Coca Cabana in the title match in, like, three minutes on a small package. And now you've put that in the crowd's mind that this can happen. He can win a match at any moment. Yeah, the, the small package run with him is great. Yeah, it's so good. Um, so, so I saw a bunch of people posting this because one thing I noticed is obviously you get a late arriving crowd sometimes, but there were a lot of floor seats empty during these opening matches. like a So ton. many. And then I saw on Twitter um, there were a ton of people stuck outside missing the matches because of the horribly slow will call lines, and there were no staff basically helping out. Wow. So bad play by the venue, obviously not a ticket sale problem, but uh, I was just wondering, since like you could see like around the arena, it was looking full, but then there was this like huge batch of floor seats. Like what the fuck that were empty. I also think that they paced it out weird. Like, okay, normally they do a kickoff match during the first hour of a two hour kickoff show. And I get that. So they did that like at five forty or so. And then they ran the second batch, the Andrade one, like at six ten. Like you can save that for like after six thirty. Let more people get in. Yeah. And that that was my other problem with the pre show too. It did not need to be two hours this time around. Of course. Just way too long. I mean, yeah, you have the two matches, give them time, but they they got time and they were they were good time for what they needed. But yeah, I mean, you could have done like a nice hour of pre show. You didn't need to do that. I mean, cause it was just otherwise it was just the talking heads bantering around and you know, largely yeah. not saying a lot. So, and like, it's not said, like they, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, like you said too, it would have been nice to see um, more people in, especially for the title match. Yeah, and that, that's what kind of kills the feel of some of these two-hour you know shows when these guys have to wrestle so early because there's so many kickoff matches that no one's in attendance. So, you know, um, but um, I lost my train of thought there. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, we're just talking about like the not enough people being in there and just the uh, the way they're running the pre-shows. It's just, yeah, I mean, again, nothing wrong with the pre-show because sometimes it's the only time some of these guys are going to get time. And a lot of the time, like, I thought these were overall, like, overall good pre-show matches. You know, no no, yeah. no no complaints from me, really. I mean, like I said, Andrade and Humberto, I liked a little less than the opener, but just nothing bad about it. So it's just like, yeah, give these guys a crowd to play to, man. Yeah, because I actually sometimes prefer when they're on the kickoff show because they do get more time instead of a three minute, you know, quick match on the main card because there's so many things happening there. They get, like you said, you know, Andrade got, I think they got 14 or 15 minutes. Um, So that was very welcome. But yeah, you put them in front of like nobody and it's hard to really get anything going there. And I always feel bad for those guys too because it's like, yeah, they're professionals. They're going to go out there and work hard, but like, it's kind of hard when you're out there and you're trying really hard and you're getting nothing back. Yeah. And it's not because they're doing anything wrong. It's literally that there's no one there to play to. (laughs) Exactly. So main show kicked off with our false count anywhere match, the big dog versus King Corbin, the big dog. I actually didn't think he was going to, but he beat King Corbin 21 via pin. Kev, what'd you think? Mm -hmm. Um, It was an interesting match. Like I feel like most of their matches have potential and then they kind of, don't reach the full potential. Um, I do want to uh, just praise the like giant CGI big dog, like Roman Reigns that they showed. <laughs> it's so weird. I saw a tweet that said he could have beaten Thanos, so that was pretty good. Um, I do like, I appreciate when you get a uh, false count anywhere match and most of the fighting happens outside. 
Uh, it's why I really liked Ms. Shane last year or Cage and the Mac at Ultima Lucha. Um, so I, you know, I like that they fought outside most of the way. Uh, the run-ins from everybody made sense with the story. Get, they get a little much after a while, but I get it. Um, there's some really bad camera work, like at some points, and the porta potty. Why was there a porta potty there? Like that doesn't even make sense. There's restrooms all over. Um, but you know, Vince McMahon was probably cracking up about that. Exactly. That's why. <laughs> um, and I did like how they did the pin on the dugout. Uh, you know, where the Astros uh, sit. So that was um, cool. Overall, I thought it was fine. It had some cool ideas in there. Uh, but it just certain things just didn't really click for me. Um, so yeah, yeah. For me, I thought it was like you said. There were good ideas. I didn't mind the running stuff because obviously there's no rules in the match, and it did play off of the feud. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like you had like random people running in. It wasn't you know wasn't like Nakamura ran in for no fucking reason. I mean, true. <laughs> so, um, but for me, it was um the one fear I had about the Falls Count Anywhere match in a big venue like this is once you get into that crowd brawling which makes obvious sense because the false count anywhere thing you run the risk of losing the fans because then they have to rely on the screens mm-hmm. and a lot of people get taken out of a match in a live experience like that and for me i thought it was a little too walking brawly a little too little too long and it didn't feel overly intense i mean roman reigns has had his ass beat and turned into dog food jesus and I mean, I wanted like the big dog to come out and try to murder this dude. Mm-hmm. And like, it wasn't like it was lack of days ago. It was just like, I think the layout just wasn't the best. You know, like I said, a little too walk and brawl. Like they, they started off, it was okay. Then they walk and brawled. Then they came back to the ring and then they walk and brawled again. And then we had the guys get involved and it picked up a little bit. And then we walk and brawled a little bit more. We got the shitter spot. And then mm-hmm. we got, like you said, the, the finish on the dugout was cool. Yeah. And it was just like, give me a little more intensity. I, I want to believe Roman Reigns actually wants to kill this guy for being fucking humiliated. Yeah, it's like they don't, like, I like Roman Reigns. I, I really enjoy his matches, but it's like they don't seem to grasp that he does his best work in, like, short burst. Like, he's a guy who can give you, I think him and Drew last year at media, I wanted, like, a, seven to ten minute just sprint and it wasn't that and i feel like this year too you could have done like a 10 minute match where corbin just gets his ass kicked because that's what he's you know it's been building towards you know let the usos and ziggler and rude do their thing and then just have roman just kill him but it kind of dragged on when it didn't need to yeah and i I think you're right i think it definitely would have been better if it was like definitely around 10 minute mark just kind of let him go high intensity let roman get his take his wrath out on him get his revenge and yeah, it's, you know, not everybody is built for the long match. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it's one of those things, because like you said, I do agree, Roman is much better in, like, short, intense matches, because a lot of his offense works much better, as opposed to where you drag it on for maybe 15 minutes, and then he kind of has to power up and fire up, and he's like, he's not that, like, traditional underdog babyface to do the, mm-hmm. the fire-up thing. He's more the intense brawler that should be, kind of on that intense level for like from the from the go and throughout so yeah it's why he was such a good hot tag guy with the shield exactly that's that's exactly mm-hmm. uh we got a backstage segment kevin and uh joe were talking about the rumble <laughs> they both want to win they both want to take out seth but they're both willing to go through each other reluctant allies they're, yeah I'm, I'm sure they'll have a fun time out having dinner later yeah, i really like their pairing 
Oh, yeah, it's fun. Uh, Mandy and Sonya had a promo. They talked about the Rumble, and Sonya said that she wouldn't fight Mandy and she would sacrifice herself if it would allow Mandy to win. They're, they're, they're still teasing that split hard. It's like they're somehow teasing the split, but also teasing the lesbian love storyline. And it's like, I don't like, do you not know which way you want to go with this? Because you could have spread it as it's going to be a split, but you could also read it as is Sonya in love with her and she would sacrifice herself. So it's like, I don't know where they're trying to go with this. It's hard to tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, at this point, uh, Michael Cole commented on the death of Kobe Bryant and his daughter today. Mm-hmm. I know you're a basketball fan, right, Co? Yeah, big time. Uh, and when I first. Like, I first started watching in, like, 2001 or so, and that's right in the middle of the Kobe and Shaq era. My favorite team, the Nets, played them in the finals and got, you know, swept easily. Um, But, like, so I've watched a lot of Kobe's prime, and this is, like, honestly, it's insane. Like, it's, it's touching everybody. People that have never watched basketball, you know who Kobe is. Like, this is, it's, I still don't believe what I read today. Yeah, I, uh... Chalk up the things I thought wouldn't happen. I outlived Kobe Bryant. Yeah, did not like. That's just it's it. Like it thought, like Kobe felt like somebody who might be you know immortal. You know, like Hulk Hogan or Ric Flair. Like they seem immortal, right? They they live on forever. Somehow, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you know, it's it's, it's insane. Yeah, it's a uh, definitely tragic, especially with his daughter involved. Yeah, too, for sure. Just, uh, apparently, from like the reports and stuff, like there was another like father and his daughter because they were going to one of the basketball games for the kids and. Just yeah. fucking tragic, man. I mean, yeah, it's like you know, dads is taking their girls to a game, and I guess it was yeah. like fog related or something, man. But it's just a. I, I'm not like I'm not gonna lie. I'm not like a big basketball fan. I pop in and watch from time to time. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously everybody knows who Kobe is, and when I saw yeah. that pop up on Twitter today, I thought my first thought was like, oh, someone's fucking around. That's not funny. Yeah, the first thing that I saw it on actually, because I was in the middle of uh, I've been renovating the uh, my room in uh, my house, and I went to my Twitter in the middle of it. I went to Instagram, and don't know why this is where I saw it, but it was Vanessa Hudgens <laughs> posted a picture of Kobe and like captioned it with what happened, and I'm like, what the hell is she talking about? So then I went to Twitter and it started opening up and reading, and as the day came out, you know, as the day went on, more details came out and like. You know, it was just crazy because he had just come out and said that he had stopped watching basketball really after he retired. And then his daughter got into it. And now they were watching games and constantly like analyzing it and going through it. And, you know, they had like found an extra bond through that. And now, like, it's just it, it's real tragic. It is, dude. And that's just it's it's fucking crazy. That's just one of those things that goes to show you, man. You never uh, never know when it's going to be your time, man. Yeah, for sure. Wild, but. Well, we'll get back into some better things. We had the Women's Royal Rumble match up next. And we started off with Alexa Bliss and Bianca Belair. And one of the stories of this match was Bianca Belair got a big run in this match. She, like her song says, Watch Me Shine, like she was, she got a huge run. It wasn't like, you know, I remember last year Natalia lasted 56 minutes and did nothing. Uh, Bianca lasted like half of that, but she threw out eight people and she looked like a star. Yeah, she did. Definitely a good star making run for Bianca. 33 minutes in, eliminating eight women. Uh, the other short story was Shayna Baszler coming in late. Shayna fucking ran wild. Monster run with eight eliminations. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought all throughout we had uh, some good elimination teases, some good eliminations, some nice story stuff. 
the 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 most hilarious part of the match was at one point it looked like Mandy Rose got dumped, <laughs> and they panned out and Otis was laying on the floor, and she landed on him. Yeah, and so Otis saved her life through the power of love, and got her back in the match. What a great love story! I, I, I credit any SmackDown ratings improvement to that love couple. Absolutely, absolutely. So, but I mean, a lot of people kind of laugh, like mockingly laughed at it. I thought it was funny, and it fits the kind of goofy love story they're doing perfectly. Because, of course, Otis would be there to save his peach. Yeah, and <laughs> that's what I, you know. Like I said, wrestling doesn't always need to be serious. That's fun. Last year, the random hornswoggle appearance in the Rumble, like that was fun. You know. So, uh, but anyway, Bianca and Shayna got huge runs, eliminated eight each. Um, and overall, at the end of the day, we did not get Ronda Rousey. We did not get a Shayna Baszler win. Obviously, Bianca didn't win. The Lady Big Dog, Charlotte, took the win at 55 minutes. Lady Big Dog. <laughs> um, so just real quick before I get to my thoughts on the, the result, I do want to just mention a couple of things that I liked. Sure. Um, Mighty Molly got a pop out of me. Yep. Like I, I really love that. Um, I thought the Lana live like Lana was super annoying. Liv Morgan didn't get a long run, uh, and I saw some people were you know upset that Liv got all this hype to not get a long run. But I thought it was fine. They furthered her story, and it's not like she was gonna win anyway. Um, like I said, I loved Otis. Uh, Bianca was great. Um, Shayna Baszler, the second she came out, it felt like everything changed. Like she is legitimate. You know, she comes across as such a badass. Um, as for Charlotte, I, I wanted Shayna to win. Um, on paper, you figure Charlotte's got to win one or two of these in her career. She's the old, you know, the top woman. Um, I just, I don't think this was the year. Like, what are they gonna do? You don't want to run her Becky for the thousandth time. You don't want to run her Bailey again. I don't think. I thought I posted on Twitter that the only thing that's not interesting to me is what if she goes after Rhea Ripley. So. Yeah, but other than that, I don't think it was a great decision. Uh, I agree, but I, I, in my um, preview, I, I noted I thought Charlotte was a possibility because I mean I just think you know, they're obviously into giving her accomplishments. I mean, look at all the mm-hmm. title runs already. I mean, it's a running joke within the New Day all the time. If you pay attention, it is. To them. <laughs> it is. So I mean, I love Big E joking about her seventeen title runs, mm-hmm. and um, I mean, it's just I figured it was a possibility. I really thought that they. I thought it was going to be Shayna or Ronda returning because, I mean, the Shayna thing, you can play off of the Survivor Series and the feud they started there and the fact that Shayna won that match and then Becky attacked her. Yeah. Ronda coming back would obviously make sense to give us the one-on-one WrestleMania match that we didn't get last year. And we got Charlotte. And like you said, I mean, Charlotte and Becky always have really good to potentially great matches, but I don't think I really want to see it again. Same. Her and Bailey had solid to good matches, I thought. Like, I wasn't really wowed by their matches. Me either. So it's like, I don't want to see that again. You bring up the Rhea thing, that at least sounds interesting. But, I mean, I, I the only way I'm interested in it is if they're putting Rhea over her. Oh, of course. I don't want her to win. <laughs> I could, like, I could see it be a case of... Charlotte's like, well, I won the SmackDown Women's title like 12 times. I won the Raw Women's title like 19 times. So maybe she wants to add more NXT titles to her thing, which if NXT is now like considered adjacent, like it's not below the main roster, then, you know, I think that that story works. But Rhea has to win, I feel like. Yeah, it's, I don't know. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, not the, uh, 
Like I said, I I, I thought uh, you know if you weren't bringing Ronda back, I thought uh, Shayna should win. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, at least Shayna and Bianca got really strong runs and looked great. The thing with me with Shayna is, and like I try not to harp on age because. Depending on who you are, the age doesn't matter. Like, I just saw Negro Costas had some fucking fun <laughs> matches at age 60. And, like, I love Yuji Nagata and Kojima, and they're older and still have really good matches. Oh, fuck, exactly, Liger. So, I mean, but, I mean, Shayna is late 30s, man. She's pushing 40, and it's like, I just think if you're going to do something with her, you need to do it soon. Her NXT stuff, she did a lot of great stuff in NXT, but, mm-hmm. I mean... I, there, there also has to be a point that maybe you're, you have to get a little more out of her too, because I think she has a lot more to offer as well. Agreed. For me, like I said, when she came out, she felt like a badass, and nothing against Ronda Rousey, who I thought was very good in her first year, but Shayna feels like everything that they kind of wanted Ronda to be. Like Shayna comes out, and like I said, the mood changes. It's, she feels like she can legitimately kick anyone's ass in that ring. And there's so much you can do with that, you know, the like Becky Lynch fighting again from behind, you know, from uh, as the underdog kind of like there's so much uh, potential there. But like you said, she is pushing 40. And again, like you, I agree with you, you know, you don't always harp on the age. However, it has seemed like it's a little different with, uh, you know, like women, like we don't see many women wrestle into their 40s. Yeah. Well, the other, I'm sorry, but the other thing I consider, too, is you have to consider that she had a long mixed martial arts career. There's a lot of mileage on her before she even got into wrestling. And, I mean, God forbid, I mean, you know, she could take a wrong step Wednesday night and blow her knee out and be out for a year. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, and like I also agree with your point on that she, in a lot of ways, was what they wanted Ronda to be. And like you said, when she came out, there was a there was a buzz in the crowd because everybody was like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. And, it happened in the Battle Royale last week. She came out the last second of the Battle Royale. I'm like, oh, shit, she's winning the whole thing. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah, Shayna has, they've done a good job of building a really good star aura around her, and she carries herself extremely well in that as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah, maybe a missed opportunity. We'll see what they do. Yeah, not thrilled about the Charlotte win. It, uh, another accolade for the list. And she reminded us that it didn't matter what anybody wanted. This is her division. Thanks for coming, Charlotte. It's like, so, is, and then you watch that and you're like, so wait, are you, I still don't know if she's heel or face. She's like Big Show. She just turns all the time. I have absolutely no clue either. <laughs> so, and then Baron Corbin cut. It was actually a very funny delusional heel promo. He talked about how Reigns was afraid to face him, and he lucked mm-hmm. out because he had to use cheap tricks in the Usos to secure a win. Like, he would never do that. It's great stuff. Great <laughs> so stuff. I laughed. Um, so next up, Women's Championship uh, SmackDown match. Bailey versus uh, Lacey Evans, newly minted babyface Lacey Evans. Lacey's uh, husband and daughter were at ringside, so I think a lot of people were maybe thinking Lacey Evans might get the win here, but Bailey retained at the end of the day, uh, getting the knees up on the Marisol and covering with the tights for the win in 9.30. Kev, what did you think? Uh, this was for me the worst thing on the show. I don't think it was like putrid or anything, um, but it just was kind of boring. I think the problem is, you know, Bailey's done okay as a heel. Like I think she's done pretty decent work as a heel. I can't buy Lacey Evans as a babyface. I don't like. I, she was just starting to click for me as a heel because she, whatever issue she had in the ring, she nailed her character. Um, and I just think it doesn't work as a babyface. So those roles just. Don't really click with me. It could have just been me. I mean, the crowd didn't seem like they were as into it. I really did like the uh, the hand-holding with the kid at the end. Um, like, that was played well with her daughter in the crowd. 
Um, but overall, just yeah, it was kind of boring. Yeah, like it was all right. I, I I didn't hate it. Like you said, it was it was far from bad. I think part of the problem was besides it being like a little flat and boring, as you mentioned, that um, I I greatly appreciate like the stuff Lacey's trying to do. She's working really hard, and she has gotten better. But I think mm-hmm. she got a little too ambitious in this match at times. Mm-hmm. You know, like she had to slip on the springboard. She did that drop kick spot, and it was banged her head off the steps. And it was like, yeah, it's like uh, I, I hate to use the phrase, but stay in your lane a little bit. Because, like, she, I mean, she could have slipped off there, and she ended up kind of hitting Bailey. But what happens if she slips and falls on Bailey's knee and blows her knee out? Yeah, it's one of those cases where it feels like, as you said, she has been improving, you know, and that there's potential there. But in some some cases, it also feels like she he's wow. getting put into these big spots. And she's clear, like, when she came out one and two in the Rumble last year, she flubbed the kick, kick up, like, immediately. Um, she didn't exactly wow us against Becky and in the main event with Corbin and Seth. Like, she keeps getting these huge spots, and she doesn't seem ready for it. <clears throat> yeah, and um, I, that, I said that when she was first brought up because I, I watched her in NXT. I thought she had a lot of potential. Obviously athletic. She has a great look. She's in great shape. And I, I thought an eventual babyface run for her because of her background, you can do a lot with that. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, the babyface turn seems a little rushed and forced at times. I think she's done well with it, but, I mean, I don't think it's exactly clicking. Yeah. And, again, uh, maybe a little too ambitious at times. And I don't – it's not like I want her to stop trying. I want her to get better. But I think, yeah, you just have to know what you can do at times. Because, like, I don't think I've ever actually seen her try springboard before this match. Mm-hmm. I've seen her do, like, slingshot elbows and stuff. But, like – you know, you're, yeah. you're you're amping things up, and yeah, she has a good dead jump and everything, but, like, she got up there and was unsteady, and like I said, I mean, God forbid she flies into Bailey's knee and blows it out, and, or both of them get injured. I mean, it's just, yeah, so um, I agree, One of definitely one of the weaker things on the show, unfortunately, and um, I saw a lot of people giving Becky flack, They're like, well, maybe Becky just didn't try with uh, Lacey because she was upset that she had to work with her and she was green. It's like... Well, no offense. I mean, I mean Bailey. I'm sure tried, but she didn't do much better with her either. Yeah, it wasn't like this was so far ahead of those Becky, uh, the, the Becky Lacey matches. You know, it's just Lacey still clearly has work to be done. Maybe when she first turned babyface, instead of immediately going into a big title match at a you know giant stadium, you put her in a lower card feud against like Sonya Deville or something, and let her get her you know a little more comfortable in the role. Yeah, I mean, if anything, they should have had her working like Sasha or somebody on the road, too. I mean, just get her good reps in there with experienced people and mm-hmm. just try to get her better. And that's that's like the one thing WWE really lacks on the main roster um, in terms of the women. Because, like, on the road, if you have, like, a younger guy that you just want to get reps and help him get better, you can throw him in there with a guy like an Eric Young who's been in wrestling forever and who's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it goes back to the day, like, when they brought Lashley up, and all they did for him for, like, five months was have him work Fit Finley on the road. Yeah. Um, Dustin Rhodes used to do this a lot. as gold dust working with guys. So, like, and that's the one thing the women's division really lacks, especially because Mickey James is out injured. You don't really have a really strong veteran that you can put on the road with Lacey. Yeah. I was going to say Mickey's would fit the bill if she wasn't hurt. Like Natalia, I don't know. She, she's fine. Like technically, but she still has very awkward moments in the ring. Then the other veterans around her, like Tamina, who is, she's Tamina. Like she, nobody, she's not going to teach anybody anything. 
Yeah, unfortunately. So that, that's unfortunately the one thing they lack. And, you know, um, someone like Mercedes Martinez, who was in the Rumble, she would be great in a role like that. Yeah, agreed. Um, but, yeah, you just need to – if you if you see something in Lacey and they want to push her, I have no problem with it. But, I mean, you got to get her better and you got to get her ready. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like they just throw her right into the fire, you know, trial by fire, putting her in big stadium shows and big matches. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, not everybody is a Tyler Bate. Yeah. If, if it were, wrestling would be fucking amazing. <laughs> it would be like, that's, like, you know, you could probably put Tyler Bate in front of 100,000 right now and he'll kill it. Exactly. Uh, so we headed off to another title match, the Universal title match. Champion The Fiend defeating Daniel Bryan, 17 minutes, 50 seconds via pin. This was the strap match. Mm-hmm. Um, the first of all the positives I have for this match, there was no red light bullshit. Thank God. Oh, it was so amazing that that wasn't there. Because I mean, again, that's one of those things that it does for me. It really took away from the matches and seeing things properly. Hated it, and I know live crowds hated it too. I don't know why they keep trying it. They tried it with Kane when he debuted. It was ugly. They tried it with Sin Cara. Like it's not a good gimmick. Never use it. It really doesn't work. The other thing I, lo- I loved in this match was Daniel Bryan doing throwback spots. Yes. He did the uh, the post spot that he did in his match with Nigel with the Fiend and the strap. Mm-hmm. And then later on, he did the uh, the yes lock and uh, used the strap like he used the chain with Morishima. Yeah. Love those little throwback things that he mixes in. Now, granted, your wider WWE audience isn't going to get the significance. They're just going to think they're kind of cool spots. Mm-hmm. But, like, we're fucking geeks, so we love that shit. <laughs> yep, I was actually uh, in, I was there live with for the Chain Morishima spot. Well, shit, there you um, go. Yeah, so, like, seeing things like that is, like, even he kind of did it uh, in 2013 when he was feuding with Randy Orton and he put the Kendall stick across his, like, face for it, so... Yeah, I like when he does things like that. You know, he's I've been a huge Brian fan for like fifteen years now, so Yeah. It, it's great. I, I love when guys mix in little things like that that plays off their their history that if like again, if you've been following them at any length you, you kind of pick up on. Mm-hmm. And they're they're also nods to like some of his greatest hits and for lack of a better phrase. I mean the Nigel sure. match. I mean all, all the Nigel stuff was just crazy. The more the more Shima, yeah. I mean, the Morishima almost killed the man. So um, he did. I, I thought Brian was really great here. Um, just his selling. He took like eight hundred fucking lashes. <laughs> um, but the man sells. He he's great. He's so great when he fires up. Um, I think it went a a little longer. I think kind of like what you brought up with Roman Reigns. I think the Fiend stuff works better in a shorter time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I think he gets a little overexposed because as the match went on, there was tons of the whipping and lashing spots, which obviously it's a strap match you're going to do. But after a while, I'm like, okay, we're doing it again. Yeah, and it's like okay, and I I think it I think Bray has a lot of good ideas, but I also think in these longer matches he gets slightly exposed. Yes, and um, I do also think that it took like ten minutes for the crowd to really get into this when Brian finally made his comeback. Yeah. Like, they were just like, oh, Brian's getting his ass beat. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know, it feels a case of a little bit of, you know, like you said, Bray has a lot of good ideas. But when he's asked to go 20 minutes, he's like, well, I have all of these ideas. So I'm going to try doing so many of them. And it doesn't, it ends up hurting the match sometimes. Like, the Seth match and Hell in the Cell, they tried way too many things in that match. Um, 
here it was a little more subdued, so I appreciated that. Like he did things, but it wasn't like he got a giant mallet out, you know. Yes, thank God, no no mallet <laughs> either, no red light, no mallet. Um, I do. Uh, Daniel Bryan should have really considered wearing, you know, like a turtleneck or any kind of shirt for this. Like he was just he was wrecked. Um, you know, I liked how he did the yes kicks and then would throw in a, a strap, you know, like a hit with the strap. Like it was it was you know they did a good job using the uh, the strap to to change things up um the sister abigail spot where he caught the the knee like into the abigail spot it was a really cool idea it came off a little awkward but i think that was like cool um yeah i thought this was it was a good match i like their 2014 rumble match better yeah um agree with what you said like bray sometimes gets exposed in these longer matches but if anybody's gonna help him you know hide those things it's daniel bryan and uh, i thought this was good yeah i thought it was good too i Maybe a little better than the Survivor Series match. Mm-hmm. I, like you said, uh, the, some some decent counter stuff. I did like that uh, Bisaki knee into the Sister Abigail. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and like you said, it maybe looked a little rough, but I mean, it's a strap match, and you're dealing with that as well. So, I mean, it wasn't like he dropped them on his fucking head or they had like a disastrous spot. Like, rough is okay at times, because that's real as well. Yeah. yeah um, I... I, where do you think Brian goes from here? I was wondering that because I, you know, I thought about you're not going to run Brian Bray at Mania again. Um, he he's a guy who doesn't feel like there's anyone obvious for him. Um, I honestly I can't, especially on the SmackDown side. SmackDown roster feels very thin. Um, if you're not going to do, you know, Roman Bray, I don't know if that's the plan, but you can do Roman Bryan maybe or Roman Bryan Bray in a triple threat. Um, maybe big match John returns and he wrestles his former like brother-in-law kind of uh, in a, you know, it's because Brian is technically like one and zero against him in big matches. So that'd be a cool thing, I think. But I honestly, it, it's, it's like a, it's a crap show. Maybe they, him and Kofi do a rematch. I don't know. Yeah. I, I really don't know where they do go with him. I, I just hope it's something that they, they could let him have a possibly great match. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still contend that the fiend's weakness is his mask. Once somebody rips that fucker off, it's over. <laughs> That'd be cool. So, uh, WWE super showdown in Saudi Arabia announced for February 27th. I'm sure you're excited. Oh yeah. If I was getting <laughs> some of that sweet money, I'd love it. Right. You're ready to get that two out of 10 score already. That's right. No, nah, I, mean, I just, I, I don't know. I mean, they do some okay stuff on those shows, but I also think a lot of them are just kind of low effort and everybody collected a check, but you know what? I mean, give me some money too and I'll collect a check, but oh. I get it. It's just like when, you know, I used to get those, uh, I'm dating myself here, but I used to get like those VHS tapes of like insurrection or rebellion, those exclusive UK <laughs> pay-per-views. And then you go back and watch them and you're like, these guys put in no effort, but they didn't have to, because the crowd was hyped to see them no matter what. So, you know, it's like a house show. Yeah, that was one of those instances where Steve Austin could have walked out and took a shit in the ring and they would have just like loved it. Exactly. But last time they were in Saudi Arabia, we got Tyson Fury coming out in like a turban and I was like, What is happening? <laughs> like it so that was worth it. <laughs> and I will say Mansoor looked really good against Cesaro. That dude has a lot of potential. Yes, he does. And it's not like I know people want to say it's, oh, well, Cesaro can wrestle anybody, but you got to be able to do your thing, too. And he's looked good in pretty much all his like little NXT moments and stuff. So yeah. a lot of potential in Mansoor. 
Yeah, again, he is. Dude's in good shape. He seems to work really hard. I thought he stepped up big against Cesaro, and yeah, it's... I also agree. He's done. He did like one or two NXT UK, and he did a couple NXT deals as well. And yeah, I just think he's a, he's a young dude that has potential. I mean, I don't know how much they're going to use him. I assume he'll have a match on this show, and yeah. um, hopefully, again. Uh, here's the thing, too: if you're going to present him as a star in Saudi Arabia because of his background, please put him in with somebody good. Yeah, like Cesaro or Nakamura, somebody who can get there. You know, get that. Do their part in the match. Exactly. I mean, because again, I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of the Saudi shows. But here's the thing: play to your audience. He's obviously sure. a star there. They want him to be a star there. Make sure you book him like a star. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> also, also, I really appreciate how last time they, you know, they found a nice way around the fact that Saudi Arabia wants all these legends. They did the Team Hogan, Team Flair. Like you still get your legends, but they don't clog up the match. Yeah, and we didn't have a Triple H or Undertaker match either, which I was actually very surprised by. Mm-hmm. And that that tag was actually good. That like big Team Hogan Team Flair match. So yeah, yeah. We'll see what they do for this one. Um, obviously, we'll talk in the Rumble. I think there could be a big name collecting the big Saudi paycheck coming up. Um, but anyway, we moved on another title match, Raw Women's Title match. The champion Becky Lynch defeated Oscar sixteen thirty five via submission. Uh, Becky finally gets the monkey off her back. Um, they had the, the year long build, which mm-hmm. I thought Becky did a really good job of playing up the feud. In fact, it, she felt like unfulfilled as a champion and had to beat Oscar. I thought that was a, a nice twist on, uh, instead of Oscar just coming out and being like, Hey, I beat your ass last year. I won a title shot. Mm-hmm. So I appreciated that. I, I thought they had a really good match. I thought they played well off of the history they had. They had a good build. Oscar's obviously great. Uh, Becky played her role extremely well here because she had to overcome. She had to beat the woman that, that defeated her last year. The end was fun as she countered the mist, um, and mm-hmm. then you know we got the uh, the disarmer and we got the uh, the clean win. So I mean, quality piece of business overall, and I I enjoyed this. That was really yeah, good. yeah, from top to bottom, like you said. I think Becky's like best work since she first started, you know, obviously when she first started the man thing, that was really good. Um, but her best work since winning the title was easily this feud. Um, she put Oscar over like, yeah, she beat Oscar, but she put Oscar over like a big fucking deal. She's like, the company is protecting me. And even when she sold the green mist, like that was some of the best mist selling that I ever, I've ever seen, whether, you know, whoever was selling it. Like remember when Paige got it and it was all comical kind yeah. of, Becky sold it like sold it like her, her eyes were burning out of her head, man. Yeah, it was great. Um, the match itself, like you said, you know, really good. I don't think it was on par with uh, their match last year, which ranks high in my top 100 matches of the year. Cheap plug, um, but the match, you know, very good stuff. Uh, they played off the past, like you said. I love the finish with the mist coming into play. I like that she made Oscar tap when Oscar made her tap last year, um, which was you know a nice turnaround there. Um, their chemistry is really good. Uh, just everything about this was very good. I don't think it was like match of the year, like status, but just very good from, you know, no matter how you slice it. Yeah. And I think Becky actually deserves a lot of credit because from everything I heard this, the feud was her idea. Mm. And she, this, and I'm not trying to like bury WWE. It's not like the company set up this year long feud. It's just that Becky saw it. And from what I heard, she went to Heyman with it and was like, listen, you know, this is something I want to do. And I think we have a great match, blah, blah, blah. And it's all there. 
Yep. And it was. And sometimes, again, keep it simple, stupid. This yep. was so easy because, again, Oscar did beat her last year. She tapped her out. And I kind of like that when you have that champion thing sometimes, like, I need to defend my title against it, this person. It reminded me a lot of, you know, I've harped on it before, but it reminded me of a lot of Okada's, like, 700 or 600-day reign that he had with the title, where, like, he was, you know, like, even if he got challenged by somebody like Shibata, he wanted to go out there and prove that he could beat him at his game. It was like there's a chip on the champion's shoulder where it's, yeah, I'm the champion, but I need to prove to everybody that I'm the best, you know, of all of all these people. So I think that was like very good stuff, uh, and it reminded me a lot of that. Yeah, and it is a nice play on just the traditional someone wins a number one contenders match or I beat you mm-hmm. in the past story. So I appreciate little things like that. Um, the Street Profits were beatboxing themes and killing time backstage. <laughs> Which, you know, I like I like the Street Profits, but I don't need you recapping a show. I'm already watching. Exactly. Like. <laughs> uh, they, they killed time. Booker T came out to join commentary because it was in his hometown. And then commentary announced that Lashley and Rusev were out of the Rumble because they brawled later in the evening and were not medically cleared, which opened up spots in the Rumble. Also, they didn't. They took out Buddy Murphy, who was announced, and Otis and Tucker, but they didn't even like acknowledge that. So I'm like, you didn't have to acknowledge Lashley and Rusev. You could have just, you know. Nobody likely would have noticed because I doubt anybody had the list sitting by. You know. The only reason I noticed is because, like I said, I was watching my girlfriend and she was like, is Finn in this? And it got to like number 27. I think Joe came out and I was like, no, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I said it was Joe and Seth. So I was like, wait, that means no Otis, no Buddy. Like I figured it out at the end. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, the big gimmick with the Rumble this year was Brock Lesnar was entering number one because he had no viable challengers, according to him and Paul Heyman. And he was going to run the field. So Brock mm-hmm. was in at number one. Um, Elias was in number two, and he got to sing before he was destroyed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Eric Rowan came out with his little cage. He got destroyed. So funny that Eric Rowan has been, like, squashing everybody, and Brock throws him out, like, in five seconds. Yeah. yeah. And we still don't know what's in the cage. No, we don't. So, um, you know, thanks for coming, Eric. Bobby Roode <laughs> came out. He got killed. F5 done john morrison came out killed done what why could they not have just like swapped john morrison with like dolph ziggler let dolph get thrown out quick let oh. jomo get a little run i saw your tweet about dolph's music hitting and i died because <laughs> i feel that way every time his music hits it was literally a room of us and the second we heard it you just like even people who don't watch the show normally just like oh it's dolph ziggler <laughs> damn <laughs> See, that's funny. But, <laughs> but yeah, Morrison got killed. Kofi came out. And that was cool. Kofi got a huge reaction. Crowd loves Kofi. Um, he got worked over. He actually survived until Ray came out. And Ray survived until Big E came out. I thought they were going to do like a run of Brock's like enemies, like Kofi, then Rey Mysterio, then maybe like uh, um, Kane Velasquez, because there was rumors he was in it. So you know, I thought it was just going to be like a barrage, but... Yeah, I was kind of waiting for that too, but uh, they they rallied, they worked over Brock, hit a Trouble in Paradise, big ending, 619, but then Brock dumped them all, said fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Cesaro arrived, he got killed. Yeah. Shelton Benjamin arrived, this was funny. 
That was good. Because he, he comes out, he, he shakes hands with Paul Heyman. Brock is kind of smiling in the ring. They got in the ring and they shook hands and hugged and they're all happy. And then Brock says, fuck off, Shelton. Germans them, dumps them. And then laughs his ass off. <laughs> so it, it's funny around this point because, uh, you know, part of the reason I started watching wrestling is because my mom has always watched it since, you know, like when, since she was little. Um, so she texts me during the show, during the rumble, and is like, when Brock's dominating, she just texts me, this rumble's boring. <laughs> she was so mad, and I'm like, don't worry, it's going to have a nice payoff. And then I think Sean came out, and like my brother's a big Sean Benjamin fan, and she's just like, this sucks. She was so mad, it was funny. <laughs> So the Shelton stuff was good, but it wasn't the best. Nakamura came out, he got dumped. <laughs> then it got funny because MVP arrived. So random. Random as hell, but the best part was Brock fucking bebopping and dancing to his music while he made his entrance. It's like, I, 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 another thing that I tweeted, because my friend you know pointed that out, that that was funny. And I'm like, I have gone back and forth like seven times during this match of someone throw Brock out, and I hope Brock runs the table and throws out all 29 people. Because he would do something like beat, like, you know, you know, bop back and forth to MVP's theme. And then, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm back in Brock, win this whole match. So that, that cracked me up. Uh, he got destroyed real quick, so mm-hmm. he's done. And then Big Keith Lee arrived. Was happy to see Keith Lee get a rumble shot. He actually survived for a while till Braun came in. Also, another highlight was when he came out, Brock just looks at Paul Heyman and is like, this is a big boy. Like, <laughs> big motherfucker, yeah. <laughs> I think at one point he looked at Paul and was like, who the fuck is this? Like, who's this guy? So um, They put up a decent little fight, but they both got dumped. Uh-huh. Ricochet arrived, uh, still smarting from getting kicked in the nads. Uh, he flew in. Brock started kicking his ass. Until Drew McIntyre entered at number 16. And he got low-blowed by... Or Brock got low-blowed by uh, Ricochet and Drew, Moore, Drew fucking claymored his ass to the floor. So Brock lasted 36 minutes. He killed a bunch of fuckers. Drew was the one to get the big uh, elimination. I was very happy at this point because I've been begging for Drew to get something. Mm-hmm. Because... He's a guy that it feels like they keep constantly teasing they're going to do something with. He's a guy I think they could do a lot with, but mm-hmm. they've never pulled the trigger yet. It's like, you know, going back, I think going into last year's Rumble, I thought he was a favorite and he didn't really do anything. And then he had the feud with Roman that kind of went nowhere. And then he was like, you know, wasn't he down with Shane, if I remember right? Yeah. Yeah, and he was like Shane's number two man, which isn't a good spot. And then... He was he used to keep kicking like Braun Strowman's ass like every week. Like he claimed the hell out of him, and that went nowhere. So it definitely was something uh, welcome. When he came out, I got up to pee, and like the bathroom is not far from the room I was watching it in. And I'm she, uh, my girlfriend's like, "You're gonna miss it," and I'm like, "Ah, it's fine unless he throws Brock out like instantly. I'm not gonna miss it." And then she goes, "Oh, he's out!" Like, uh, and I was so like, I was so mad that I got up at that moment to pee. See, that's what happens, man. You got to plan the bathroom breaks better. <laughs> yeah, anything can happen at the World Wrestling Federation. <laughs> that's right. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Miz joined. He got dumped. AJ Styles came out. Dolph came out, and everybody groaned, as you said. Yeah, for sure. We got Carl Anderson in, and then number 21, the big surprise, which everybody was still thinking might happen, even though he denied it, the return of the Rated R Superstar Edge. That... Was insane because 
I know that people have talked about it, but I'm like, no, it's Edge. He can't wrestle anymore. Like, he might die. And then just to hear that music, like, Edge is kind of, like, I guess I would say he's my favorite wrestler of all time. I can't remember a moment in my life where I didn't like Edge. Babyface run, heel run, tag team. It didn't matter. Edge was always the guy for me. And just to hear that, like, I literally sat there and I had no idea, like, how to really react to it. I was like, I... Like this is happening. He has the pyro and everything. Like this, and he looks good. Like he looks, yeah. he's shredded. Dude's been in good shape. He's been showing workout photos for like the last year. He got into really good shape, and yeah, he he looked good. And I obviously it's hard to judge from a rumble match because it's not a regular match. But he was in there for a fair amount of time, and I thought he looked good overall. It looked pretty crisp, uh, considering it's been how long since he wrestled. I mean, yeah. so I mean, yeah, he ran wild with spears for a while and stuff like that, and. Match kind of carried on for a while. The I think the the fun part was really um we had the rated RKO reunion for a while with him and Orton. I like how Orton straight up was like, "You're shredded, dude." Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah they, they had some fun little interactions, and they they obviously worked together. They hit like double RKOs. Randy T's dumping him at one point, and then uh, Edge caught him, and then they were like, mm-hmm. "No, no, no, it's all right." And then Edge said, "Fuck off," and dumped him. So yeah, like, yeah, good stuff. So that was good. Uh, it, Joe and Kevin Owens entered late. Aleister Black was in late. Uh, some fun stuff with them. It slowed down a little bit after the Brock stuff, but like the Edge stuff, I thought really propped it up. Uh, yeah. Seth Rollins entered last. He came out with Buddy Murphy and the AOP. We got floor brawling. The AOP actually saved Seth at one time from being tossed. So that was a, that was a good use of them because they didn't o- they didn't overdo it. And then, like, AOP and Buddy and the other guys, after they got eliminated, all brawled to the back. I do want to point out, um, I thought it was really cool how Buddy cost Alistair Black his spot. Like, Buddy hasn't forgotten that he's 0-3 against him. He's the one who kind of messed up Alistair Black and Seth threw him out. So I thought that was really cool. Buddy's never going to forget. Yeah, Buddy never forgets. I saw him destroy that ringside. So, uh, yeah, we got Donna, Edge and Orton and Drew and Reigns were left here down at the stretch. Um, just fun stuff down to stretch. I, I liked a lot of what they did. Uh, that, you know, edge got dumped or Orton got dumped. As I mentioned, edge got dumped. And then we had a uh, drew and Roman down the stretch here and, yeah. uh, drew eventually claimed him and tossed him for the win. at just over an hour. And I think the first thing I, I thought it was nice to kind of see them mix things up with the Brock stuff this year, because for sure the rumble can be very paint by numbers. And, sometimes that's really good if you weave into right stories and have the right guys and mm-hmm. other times it's just kind of okay. Um, so I thought the Brock portion was really energetic. Um, it, like I said, it slowed down a little bit until edge came out. Um, that got the crowd into it a little bit of a slow middle. I did love the edge return. I mean, obviously he's cleared to come back and he feels like he's safe enough to come back. So good for him. I think yeah. that's cool. Um, I, I liked the mini RKO reunion. I thought the closing stretch was really well done overall. I thought it was a really good rumble. And like I said, it's about time with Drew. He got to dump Brock. He picked up the big win on top of that. And it f- finally kind of feels like they're going to go all the way with him. It feels like the way to go is Brock Drew at Mania. Now, do they pull like a Roman in 2018? Wasn't it just Brock beats him at Mania and that kind of kills his momentum? Or, you know, hopefully not, but... 
Drew definitely seems like there. It seems like it's finally time. Three and B doing big things. Former WWE champion Jinder Mahal. You got Drew McIntyre. Maybe Heath Slater wins something big this year. That's right. I, I, I said in my preview, man. I said I would love if somebody like Drew won. And no shit, dude. I tell you what. If they do Drew and Bro- Brock at Mania, if they're concerned with trying to make a star, I would ring the bell and have him claim more of that motherfucker out of his boots and pin him. Yeah, I'm. I'm all like. I feel like with Brock, you gotta either you got like Seth last year. Yeah, they had the brawl before him, but Seth beat him in three minutes. Like, you know, just get in there, do your thing. Like uh, him, Claymore, and him, like for a squash, or even if you do Claymore and then Brock kind of gets up, you do a second Claymore. Like, just have him like wreck Brock shit. Yeah, I mean, because I'm all about trying to make stars, and I I talk about that every week when I'm reviewing AEW and NXT with various people, and like, I always praise like the NXT women's division. They have such depth, and like, there was times where like we were talking about the women's division, then it's like you still forget that people like Karen, me, and Rachel Ellering are injured, and there's all these mm-hmm. other chicks not on TV yet. That, so that roster is crazy. Yeah, and so they have this ridiculously deep division, and they've done a good job of elevating a lot of them, especially heading into war games. You mentioned uh, Kaylee Ray earlier. I agree, vastly mm-hmm. underrated. I think she's great. So you add in some of the NXT UK women as well, and that's a ridiculously deep division. Yeah. I, when I talk about AEW, I talk about you know they're trying with guys like Darby Allen and Sammy Guevara to make stars and make young stars and new stars. Yeah. And I just I think it's really important overall. And tonight, I think they did a great job with Bianca. I thought her Rumble run was excellent. I thought they made her look like a star. Mm-hmm. And I think they made Drew look like a star here. Now, kind of the, the caveat with this, with everything, is they have to follow up on it, obviously. For sure. But, I mean, I think that these are good takeaways. Um, overall, Kevin, I, I thought very good Rumble main event, and I thought the show was good overall. I had a good time. A little long, but I had a good time. Uh, I'm right there in the same boat. I think this was a great Rumble. I do appreciate, like you said, that it's something different. Like I can understand the frustration that someone like my mother had or, you know, someone watching it. It's like, Oh, Brock is just dominating again. But we've been watching Royal Rumbles going back to 1988. It's hard to do something different. A lot of Rumbles, especially in a lot of the like recent years feel like you don't remember much from them. Like I don't remember much from the 2012 Rumble, except that Seamus won. Um, you know, it's just an example so I'm glad that they tried something different. Everyone's going to remember this as the rumble that Brock Lesnar dominated and then Drew McIntyre kicked his ass out of the ring. Um, I thought that was, you know, a very uh, ballsy move, and it, I think it paid off because the pop for Drew's moment was great. I like that Ricochet got to be involved in it, got a little bit of revenge. Um, <clears throat> I, it's interesting that Roman's always in the end of these, and... It's because it's such a great reaction because people don't want him to win. So when the guy knocks him out, it's great. It happened with Nakamura in 2018. Um, It happened with Orton and Wyatt in 2017. You know, so just having him there makes a lot of sense. Um, Like you said, I really enjoyed the show. Got to sit here and, uh, you know, just sit back, relax with friends and watch it. And just a good time. It was a little long, but it was much shorter than last year's. That went absurdly long. so, yeah, I appreciated that. Top to bottom, I enjoyed pretty much everything. You know, I think Lacey Evans-Bailey was the only match that I just, that I, you know, didn't really like. So, very good stuff. 
Yeah, so I mean that, that that I think overall we we uh, we wrap up a good weekend for WWE. Like I said, uh, really enjoyed Worlds Collide. Uh, it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see if they can do that again down the line. I, th- I think you could market that as a once a year event, and maybe that becomes like a Rumble weekend tradition. For sure. I mean, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I do think it breaks it up instead of doing the traditional takeover, and I I also like it because. You had an NXT UK uh, takeover, and then you had Worlds Collide, and then Takeover's getting a standalone Sunday show here in February. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now there's this constantly, you know, we have Takeover, we have granted Super show, uh, Showdown, but you know, there's two shows coming up in February that are kind of big. Are we getting an Elimination Chamber? I haven't heard anything about it. Uh, I think if we do, it's in March. Oh, oh yeah, duh, because Mania is usually in like April now. Yeah. So I think that's the plan, but we'll yeah we'll okay. obviously see how they go there. But uh, definitely an enjoyable weekend. Uh, I think my match of the weekend was DIY Mustache Mountain. For sure, mine too. Um, if I had to do like a top five, it'd probably be DIY Mustache Mountain, uh, the Imperium tag, um, probably the two Rumbles I would say, and then maybe the Cruiserweight title match from Worlds Collide. Yeah, I, I didn't like the men's rumble quite as much as you, but I agree mm-hmm. on everything else you mentioned. I would all put them near the top. Um, but yeah, I mean, a quality weekend, uh, definitely enjoyable. But uh, Kev, I want to thank you for uh, for joining me and making your podcast debut with me here on the show. Yeah, I had a good time. Uh, hopefully we can do this more often. I enjoyed being part of it. Um, I, I'm glad I got to do it on a weekend of good wrestling. <laughs> I didn't get to come out here for a dumpster fire show, so uh, that was really welcome. Um, but yeah, this was a good time. I, I'm always down to talk wrestling. Alright, Kev, once again, throw out, uh, throw out the uh, Twitter and Patreon for everybody so they can make sure they hit you up. For sure. Uh, the Twitter is at the Kevsta. That's the underscore K-E-V-S-T-A-A-A. You gotta remember those three A's. Uh, Patreon is patreon.com slash the Kevsta, spelled the same way. Uh, the Patreon, usually just a dollar a month, you know, help a brother out. Um, but you get exclusive reviews, analysis. Um, I do top 10 lists, top five lists. I'm planning on bringing a top 500 matches of the decade uh, from the two- 2010s. Um, that'll be out at some point during the year. Uh, so, yeah, I got some big plans coming for that. Yep, and as always, make sure you join Kevin Wednesday night as he uh, covers NXT Live while I uh, cover AEW Live. We always have you guys mm-hmm. covered on there. And, yeah, we'll definitely have you back on, Kev. Thank you again for your time. Greatly appreciated. And uh, that will wrap us up for this portion of the show. All right, campers, I want to go ahead and thank Kevin for popping on and making his debut on the show tonight. It was greatly appreciated. We'll probably have him back down the line sometime. But right now, we're going to Tarantino back. It's actually about 2 a.m. Saturday morning. I finished the NWA Hard Times pay-per-view, 205 Live and SmackDown. Ate a late dinner and decided I needed to record a little audio here on the Hard Times pay-per-view. So it's going to be the late night sounds of Larry going solo here. NWA returned for their second pay-per-view under the Billy Corrigan regime. Hard Times from the studios in Atlanta. And the TV title tournament was the main hook of this pay-per-view. They announced early, uh, right away in the evening, that uh, all the TV um, title tournament matches, barring the final, were going to be the 605 time limit. And that if for some reason they went to a draw, 
that there would be three judges to decide the winner, and those judges would be Billy Corgan, the referee of the match, and Stu Bennett, who was obviously on commentary with Joe Galley. So we started off the night, the first tournament match, it was Trevor Murdoch upsetting the question mark 310 via pin. I was a little shocked with the result. I thought the question mark was going to go much farther in this tournament, actually. Thought it was a fine little opener. Shocking result. Kind of thought the question mark was robbed, but what are you going to do? Um, the guy's over, but they went in a different direction, so no real problem. The tournament continued on here. We had Dan Moff from ROH defeating the outlandish Zicky Dice 305 via pin. Again, they had another solid match. I thought Dan Moff was the right winner. Um, as much as you could ask for in three minutes, um, Moff was really good here. Mostly destroyed Zicky Dice. And um, no real complaints about it. I thought Moff moving on was the good call. Uh, we continued on in the TV title tournament. Ricky Starks facing off with Matt Cross. And I was excited for Matt Cross to get a shot here. Um... Again, I was shocked that he hasn't been, um, maybe not signed or picked up, but at least used for dates in ROH Impact or AEW. Um, really talented guy. He's 39, doesn't look it, can still go. They had a good match here. Ricky Starks beat him at just under four minutes via pin. And, uh, they had a good little match. They made the best of their time given Ricky Starks. Uh, I think if you listen to the preview... Obviously the right call to move on. He is a young star that the promotion is taking a lot of time investing in and trying to build up into something, and I think that is a great thing. Tim Storm arrived for some interview time. They announced that Ken Anderson would not compete tonight, uh, claiming he wasn't medically cleared. I'm not sure if there is more to that, if it's an elaborate angle. Um, There are people speculating that... The NWA aren't happy with him now. I don't know anything for sure. Uh, so right now it's just an angle, we'll call it. Uh, Tim Storm, awesome baby face, uh, praised his NWA family of fans. Hates that Anderson isn't here to, here to compete, but he admitted again that he has um, a lot more behind him that he has left ahead of him. And while he doesn't want the easy path, he will take the bye here because it means he only has to win two uh, matches to make Mama Storm proud and win that TV championship. Tim Storm, always a good uh, babyface. And um, so he won his match by forfeit, and we moved on. Stu Bennett then uh, had some breaking news for us. He always teases the bad news line, but this was breaking news. Um, he said that the uh, studio that they've been running in has been great hosts. They love them. And then announced that their next pay-per-view takes place in April. That it will be the return of the Crockett Cup, as I speculated. And while they didn't name the venue, they said it will take place in a bigger venue. I would not roll out center stage. ROH runs there. Um, NXT's run there. It's a good venue. Um, it's stage as well. And it still kind of fits into that studio format without going too big for the NWA. Although I am sure that they will have some ROH assistant on the card. Uh, to this point, the crowd had been really good in the show. And that was pretty much a theme throughout. That that studio is small. They packed 250 in there, I think, is what what fits. And they're pretty much into everything, which gives the show a great vibe. We uh, started off with our title matches now. NWA Tag Team Championships. 
Eli Drake and James Storm, as Steve Cook called on the preview, defeated the Rock and Roll Express in the wild cards. They got just over eight minutes. They had a pretty good match. I thought it was held back a little bit by the stipulation was which was three men in at all times and that you could only tag your tag team partner. I thought that um, caused a little bit of flow and continuity issues throughout the match. Um, Wasn't bad. Again, I thought it was pretty good. The title change, I think, most expected, um, but I didn't expect uh, Drake and Storm to win so soon, but they did. And um, I think that's a fine call. Excuse me as I fit in some drinks here from time to time. But I think it's a good call because those guys are uh, they're stars. Uh, they're over with the crowd. They got some promo time afterwards. Eli Drake said that uh, on the first show he promised he would be holding gold and that anybody had it needed to watch out for him. They bantered a bit and joked about uh, names that they could possibly called, including beer muscles and drinking buddies. But at the end of the day, Drake says it doesn't matter what you call them because they are the champions. Fun little promo. These guys are a fun duo. No problem with the title change. The Rock and Roll Express winning the titles is obviously a really fun, feel-good moment. They're guys you can still use. They don't have to be champions. They're always going to be over, despite how old they are. Um, That crowd really likes those guys. Ricky Morton's a ton of fun. I'm sure they'll factor into the Crockett Cup again, and that makes perfect sense. So uh, I think a good title change here, no complaints with it. Now things, uh, business picked up, as they say, with the NWA Women's Championship match. And this was the first match to really get time on this show. And in this match, Thunder Rosa defeated our champion, Allison K at 17-20 via pin. And while I thought they had a little bit of rough edges at times, this was a really, really good match. Hot crowd throughout. I thought they gave us the right winner. They had some great near falls. I love that Thunder Rosa won. I thought she should have won. She looks like a star, walks like a star. Just everything about her has that star quality. She pops off the screen. She's so over at this point that I really don't think they're going to be able to keep her a heel for long. And um, we'll see how that plays out. Post-match, Melina and Marty Bell arrived to celebrate with her. The little trio stays strong. But again, I think it's going to be interesting to see how Melina reacts to, for lack of a better phrase, her underling winning the championship before her because Melina's whole shtick so far has been that she's a great women's wrestler, she's a legend, and that she was coming for the title. But now Thunder Rosa holds it. So we will see going forward on TV if there is any dissension among the trio there. Um, I think that could be an interesting and fun little angle. Thunder Rosa looked great here. Allison Kay worked really hard and was really good. And like I said, a little bit of rough edges from time to time. I wouldn't call it a great match, but it was really good. Easily the best thing on the show so far. And as I kind of look over my results here, I think I do believe this was the best match on the card. So the, uh, the women stealing the night. We had some promo time next. Marty Skrull arrived to be interviewed by Joe Galley and says he was in the NWA because he wants his shot at the 10 pounds of gold he wants sweet Charlotte. He said Nick Aldis is still ducking him and he questioned what his old friend Nick was afraid of because Nick claims he already beat him and there's no threat there. But he said he's going to keep coming for Nick Aldis until he gets his shot, which of course led to our NWA champion Nick Aldis arriving. Uh, Marty um, basically harassed him, said he was afraid to defend against Flip tonight, 
and that Nick Aldis always talks about being a big game player and said the people deserve to see an NWA title shot tonight. Um, Aldis says, um, you know, he was, Marty's trying to talk him into the match. He was flabbergasted by the audacity that Marty could, could walk into his building thinking he has the stroke because this is the house that Aldis built. He makes everywhere he goes the hot ticket. He made ROH the hot ticket when he was there. Told Marty to shut up because this is the NWA. He has absolutely no stroke here. He built this house. And then um, he then agreed to the title shot, though. Said he will defend against Flip Gordon and said if Flip Gordon actually wins, not only does he become the NWA title, he or not only will he um, win the NWA title, but um, you know he'll be in a position of power. Power. But Alda said that if he wins, all further business between him and Marty will happen on his terms. He also said that for Flip to get the title shot, that Marty Scroll would have to leave the building. Marty agreed to leave, and we had an NWA title match set for later in the evening. Uh, a good piece of business there. Both guys actually, on as we all know, very good promos. And I really like how they're continuing to feud. A slow burn to Marty versus Nick. It makes sense. I will be interested to see if they jump to it during the Crockett Cup pay-per-view because that would be a great full circle thing to go back to the Crockett Cup where Aldis defeated um, Skrull last year. So we will see how that works out. Obviously, no match announced, and there's still a lot to play. Aldis is going to be working the free Enterprise show, and he's already announced for the Supercard of Honor stuff. So there's a lot of build until that pay-per-view happens. We went to the TV title... um, Semi-final matches. Trevor Murdoch continues his uh, miracle run, defeating Dan Maft, 3 minutes, uh, 10 seconds via pin. Had a solid, hard-hitting match. And um, Murdoch was the surprise of the evening. Danny Maft worked really hard. Um, and again, they made the most out of the time they're given. It's hard to have really quality matches in 3 minutes. Um, but I thought, for the most part, everybody that had these short time constraints tonight did a very good job, and they tried their hardest. The next uh, semifinal match, Ricky Starks and Tim Storm. Ricky Starks picked up the big win over babyface Tim Storm. Clean win, no no chicanery by Ricky Starks. 455 via pin. Was pretty good, a little better than the previous matches. And, um, you know, I love Tim Storm, and I thought he could have had a possible run with the title, but... Ricky Starks is, for me, definitely the right call as the winner. And again, if you listen to my preview, I think you'll understand why I laid it all out there. The NWA national title match was up next with Shooter Stevens defending against Scott Steiner. Scott Steiner ended up winning at six minutes via disqualification when the question mark got involved. This was far from a horrible match. But it was the weakest thing on the show. We got the shenanigans-filled finish. I think most people expected Steiner might win, but not win the championship. And it's okay as long as it doesn't become a habit. But definitely the weakest thing on the show. Uh, Stevens ran away after the match as Scott Steiner beat down the question mark. Shooter Stevens, piece of shit, leaving his sensei in the ring. Horrible man. The NWA championship match was next, and it was not the main event. 
NWA champion Nick Aldis defending against Flip Gordon and defeating Flip Gordon at 15-25 via pin. They had a really good match. I thought Gordon was built up enough throughout the match to look like a threat to Aldis. Aldis overcame now, and um, he calls the shots now in the feud with Marty Skrull due to their pre-match stipulation. Obviously, Aldis wasn't going to drop the title to Flip Gordon because that kind of ruins the whole Nick versus Marty feud. Would have been a bad call. This makes the most sense. Now you give Aldis a position of power. And again, I'm really interested to see how they play it out because Nick Aldis's uh, ROH appearances are usually a lot of fun. He does not a lot, but he does the right things. He gets good heat. And I, again, they're building up to a match that could probably sell some good pay-per-views for the NWA. And at the same time, it's probably giving uh, ROH a little much-needed positive attention following what we all know was a down 2019. Um, so far, 2020 has been good for Ring of Honor. Uh, a lot of good signings and re-signings, talent retention, some good shows, a few great matches so far. A lot of stuff announced for Supercard of Honor. So, um, ROH is definitely trending up so far in 2020, and I'm loving that they're back working with the NWA. I think it works great for both companies. NWA has a lot of good people involved, but they also have a limited roster, so bringing in a Danny Moff and a Flip Gordon, like on this show, probably adding some teams to the Crockett Cup, and then building up the Marty and Nick, there's a lot of good things that can help both companies. I think it's just a smart move for everybody involved. And that's going to lead us to the main event of the evening. No time limit TV title tournament finals. Ricky Starks and Trevor Murdoch with the surprise finals run. And it's kind of cool that they did the Trevor Murdoch run because Trevor is a great throwback. He fits perfectly in the NWA. I was surprised by it. I thought they would probably go question mark because... Everything with Ricky Starks and the question mark going to the finals made perfect sense to me. They had history, they had previous angles, they did one on power this week, and it just felt like a natural fit to build to that. But they went another direction, and there's nothing wrong with that, because Trevor Murdoch worked really hard all night. And here in the finals, Ricky Starks defeated Trevor Murdoch 9-20 via pin. So, this was a good match. It was a basic established veteran versus your young up-and-comer and Starks taking the win as he should have. They worked hard. They made good use of the nine minutes given to them. Crowd liked it. Uh, they were, they were kind of into the Murdoch story, but they're also into Ricky Starks. Again, a good atmosphere all show long. And that's really important because I don't care if you have 250 fans or 25,000 fans. If there's no heat in the building, it doesn't matter. I mean, Christ, look at 205 Live. Sometimes there's some good stuff on there, but nobody cares. The crowds are dead. Look at some of WWE's bigger shows. They have giant crowds sometimes, and nobody gives a shit about half the stuff. So, I mean, I'll take a hot crowd of 250 that's into a whole show all the damn time. So I don't see why people complain about that. So that's the show as a whole. Overall, I thought NWA Hard Times 2020, first of all, it was a nice tight two and a half hour presentation. And as I've said before, in this era of shows that want to balloon up well past four or five hours, upwards of six hours and more, 
I greatly appreciate a good two to two and a half hour show. Another reason I loved Fantastica Mania. Two hour and 15 minute shows. Good action, good matches. Get in, get out, don't fuck around. So again, a tight two and a half hour presentation. I thought the show had a really good flow of action all night long. Overall, it was really rock solid. We had some new champions crowned. We had the continued elevations of Ricky Starks and Thunder Rosa. Big fans of both. They continued Aldis versus Skrull. I thought it was an enjoyable night of action. It was a good, solid show. A nice 6.5 out of 10 I gave it. And I know some people were upset about it. And they were, oh, it's a 9. It's a 9 or a 10. It was a great show. Listen, I I have no problem with the show as a whole. But again, it's 2020. And this is a wrestling show. And while there wasn't anything bad, you know, about 80% of the show was solid. There was some good, and then there was some very good. But it was mostly solid, and it just, it didn't overall to me feel like a good or great show. That doesn't mean it was bad. There doesn't mean that there was anything wrong with this show. I just thought it was a nice, solid show. And for the most part, there's not anything wrong with that. But I will say, and I've said this a lot, it is 2020. There's a ton of competition out there. And I do feel that you need to aim for more than just solid. Now, I mean, granted, I will always take solid over bad. The show obviously didn't drag. Again, I praise the runtime. They fit a lot in. Great flow. The show flew by. I wanted some more out of the wrestling. And for me, that is the... The one drawback of the 6.05 time limit, especially on a show like this, because they wanted to fit in a lot of matches, and while it helped there, you're really handcuffing guys by only giving them, for the most part, three to four minutes. And I really think that you have to be really good or excellent to dig in and give anything more than solid or good in three minutes. It's just, it's hard to do. It's hard to get people invested. It's hard to build heat. It's hard to build a fiery comeback. And then if you go in there, conversely, if you go in there and just go boom, 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 people were complaining that all you did was spots and you didn't try to tell a story. But again, the wrestlers are put in a bad place because it's very hard to tell a story in that short a time frame. So again, there was nothing really wrong with the show. The Steven Steiner match was the weak point. The high point for me was Thunder Rosa and Allison Kay. Close second was Flip Gordon and uh, Nick Aldis. And then again, a couple good matches mixed in there. But I thought more importantly, they made a good move in putting titles on um, Ricky Starks and Thunder Rosa. And I think Drake and uh, Storm winning the tag titles is going to be good. Because that means we're going to get more Eli Drake promo time. We're going to get more matches with those guys. And they're some of the better wrestlers overall on the roster. And it'll be interesting to see how much of a run they're going to get. I hope it's not a bullshit short run and one of them quickly turns on one another. We really don't see, don't need to see that. Because it's, I think we should give these guys not necessarily a super long run with the titles. But I would like to see them stay aligned for a while and have a nice run. And we'll see how they deal with the tag titles in the Crockett Cup. Are, is, are they going to be in the Crockett Cup? Most likely, I would assume. Are the titles going to be on the line during the Crockett Cup? Because theoretically, then, you could do one or two title changes during the Crockett Cup if you feel really froggy. 
or you could just have them make the finals and lose them in the finals, or you could have the winner of the finals earn a title shot at, say, the next pay-per-view. There's a lot of interesting things you can do. I'm interested to find out what's up with the Mr. Anderson thing, because that came off really weird. And it's not like I was like super hot on seeing a Ken Anderson match in 2020. He's been fine, but I just... I don't know what was going on there. So we will find out what happens. And um, yeah, so anyway, NWA Hard Times 2020, rock solid show. You may get a little more enjoyment out of it than I did, and that's fine. Again, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with a solid show. I didn't feel like my money was wasted. And again, for them, I think they're, it's building. You have to build off of shows. You have to build the shows properly. I did enjoy Into the Fire a little more than this one. I thought that was a good pay-per-view. But, you know, right now, you're two pay-per-views in, a good show, a solid show, leaning towards good. And now you have some time to build to your third pay-per-view. And I'm very glad that they're not rushing to a third pay-per-view in February. I'm also glad that they're avoiding WrestleMania month in March. I think that those are smart moves by the company. You don't want to overextend your audience in a really busy time of the year. And I think you should take your time to really build up to that. And the Crockett Cup could be really interesting. I'm going to be very interested to see if they pull the trigger on Nick and Marty at that show. How they're going to lay out the tournament. Who else they're going to bring in. Because obviously if you bring in ROH teams, I mean you have a lot of good stuff. You have Mexi Blood, you have the Briscoes. You have um, Lifeblood that you could bring in. You could bring in a Villain Enterprises team, obviously. You could do a lot, and that could be a really interesting show. And I love the Crockett Cup, and I've talked about it a hundred million times, and I even mentioned it in the Sports Illustrated interview. Yeah, I'm going to drop that one more time. Um, I love great tag team wrestling. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to that show. I think there's a lot they can do with it. I'm just, I'm not sure what direction they're going to go in, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I like being a little bit surprised. So yeah, NWA Hard to Kill, nice solid show, no real complaints. Um, Ricky Starks and Thunder Rosa, if they play the cards right, I think they will be big stars for the company. I think they made the right move putting titles on them especially, just really good stuff here. And so that is going to wrap us up for tonight. Again, I do want to thank Kevin for popping in and joining me tonight. It was greatly appreciated. And that's going to wrap us up for tonight. Um, This is the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. As always, you can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show. Share us around on social media. Leave us a five-star review on the podcasting platform of your choice. Excuse me for getting tongue-tied. And again, make sure you punch that subscribe on YouTube. I want to get to the pay window with this bad boy. It would be greatly appreciated. Until Wednesday night, Thursday morning, I am Larry Zonka, and I hope you guys have a fantastic week.